we live? Am I watching the show? And and is that the I problem? Think so. We are. Oh my god. We're live. Caught me watching my own show. I like the opening theme. Fuck me. <laughs> and fuck you for getting on my dick for liking the opening theme, man. Like, let a guy enjoy his opening theme. But that opening theme means only one thing, Mark. Fucking show began. Welcome to Fat Man Beyond, man. I'm Kevin Smith. I'm Mark Bernard. Hey. Oh. Uh, as you can see, Mark is on the Death Star, and I am ready to load you onto the Jungle Cruise ride at Disneyland. <laughs> this show is brought to you by Disney. <laughs> Pretty much. Cross the boards. Disney, we own your childhood, assholes. Um, I uh, am st still moving in um, in Studio City. Oh, thank you. And... Um, I'm still trying to figure out, suss out where I will be. Oh, you rock. Thank you. Um, where I will be setting up shop in the, uh, hey, yeah, you rock. Thank you. Um, where I'm going to be setting up shop uh, going forward. I, I assume it'll be down in the garage where my office is, but the internet signal doesn't reach down there yet. Mm. I've been preoccupied for the last month uh and change i've not been home here in los angeles mark i've been back east in new jersey uh at smod castle and all around smod castle um working on a motion picture we were lucky enough to get a waiver uh the interim agreement mm -hmm. and uh that we signed with the um the writers guild folks and no the sag folks rather and um we uh, got to make a movie, which was uh, really wonderful. We made the, the 430 movie, it's called. And, you know, at one point in the midst of, you know, the SAG strike, which is not yet over, uh, we had a day where we had 100 SAG actors on the payroll. They were all happy to be working for the moment and stuff. It was very nice. Movie turned out very incredibly sweet. Um, I look forward to sharing it with folks. I'm already done with the edit I, I was editing you know i like to cut while the movie's being made and stuff so um i was cutting the whole time we were shooting so uh, you know you can watch the flicks probably my shortest flick uh i've ever made like right now pre-credits it's like 75 minutes oh wow it's tight it's lean and it's uh you know the whole movie i was like man these fucking kids should curse more it's set in 1986 so having people curse more felt didn't feel authentic. You know what I'm saying? Like in 1986, we weren't all like you know motherfucker cock and shit like that. Um, I don't know about Jersey, but yeah, we, yeah. We, we were we were sailors in New York. Oh, were you? Oh yeah, because like that's when you first discover that stuff, and you it's it's like your first fucking sip of alcohol. Like what this. I can sit, these words have power and I'm just going to start, like every time my parents weren't around, it was a fucking Richard Pryor night at the OK Corral. Um, I mean, that's just me, because again, we were, you know, New York City hooligans. Um, don't fucking belittle and shame me just because I didn't come from New York, God damn it. <laughs> and 30 years of a career proving that Jersey rocks just as hard, God damn it. All I'm saying is you guys are you guys are from the south. Like anytime I cross a bridge, I'm in the south. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of true. The, um, yeah, it, it was 
I mean, maybe it's just by virtue of the fact that I was raised by grace. Mm. Like you couldn't curse. There was no cursing in my world. Not till not till I met and started hanging out with Jason Muse. Then the cursing started to seep in. I mean, honestly, I was thinking about it while I was making this movie. Like cursing, I didn't really curse around in front of my mom until fucking after Clark's got picked up. And I proved that it was financially viable to curse. And then uh that's when I felt free. I was thinking about it a lot while I was making the movie, man. While I was making clerks really like freed me up, even though I was like 23, I was still very much like under um my mom's thumb. And not in a horrible way. She's not like a horrible person, but oh my God, I was so like the last child, the baby. I didn't leave the nest and shit like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, life proceeded even though i graduated from high school like life had proceeded while i was in high school so you know my adolescence got extended in that in that scenario long before like clerks afforded me the ability to artificially extend my adolescence by just never growing up and making pretend for a living you know staying fucking home until i was 22 you know, mm-hmm. extended my adolescence to a large degree there. But but making clerks and clerks getting picked up and shit like that, that recreated my relationship um, with my mom. I thought about it a lot while I was making this movie. Maybe it's because we shot fucking the 430 movie literally one mile from fucking where we shot clerks. Our opening day of the, of the shoot, we were two blocks from Quick Stop. We started shooting in Leonardo. We shot in Leonardo highlands atlantic islands mostly we shot at my movie theater when when i bought the movie theater last year me and my friends one of the first things i said was like i'm gonna fucking write a script for a movie theater man like how could i not so there was uh no doubt whatsoever that i was gonna set a flick there and uh i wrote this little pay on to my youth and and uh first date with my high school girlfriend kim locker um and it's about me and my friend ernie o'donnell the guy who's smod castle keeper ernie o'donnell and our friend bellicose michael bellicose so it's you know one day in 1986 where the kids like go theater hopping at the local multiplex pay for one movie theater you sneak into the rest something you you know you wouldn't even i don't know if you would even bother doing nowadays um or I guess it's easier to get away with shit. They they want anybody in a movie theater. If you pay for one movie, as long as you're buying popcorn, they probably don't give a shit. Uh, but now seats are like pre-assigned and whatnot. So maybe it's maybe it's different. But when I was a kid, man, you could pay for like one movie, go to a multiplex. And that was the dawn of the multiplex. And you can hop from movie to movie. You spend all day. Parents drop you off in the morning for the first matinee. And then they pick you up at like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. So it's a real snapshot of that time. And so because of that, there's not a lot of cursing. And the whole time I was making the movie, Mark, all I could, like, my big fear was, like, maybe I should be letting people curse. Like, maybe I should be, why am I stopping them from cursing? Like, ratings don't matter anymore. Right now, as it stands, motherfucking movie is probably a PG-13. It's pretty innocent. Um, But, you know, I was like, why do you even care about ratings anymore? Do ratings even matter like in a world where you can watch Pornhub on your phone, like what is a ratings? What's the ratings board doing anymore? Like, does that stop anybody from 
watching a movie. You can access a movie digitally within a month of its theatrical life if it's lucky enough to have one. So, well, I'll tell you, um, a friend of mine who's been on the podcast before, my friend, Kayla Cooper, mm-hmm. she wrote Megan. And I remember she that was just having- I watched within the last month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that was- it's, you know what it reminded me of? Remember when we were kids, that Wes Craven movie, Deadly Friend? Uh-huh. It's Deadly Friend. It's a little bit Chucky. Like, it's kind of all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it was but fun. Was fun yeah. Oh, she was telling me about some of the conversations about, like, she wrote a horror movie. She wrote a straight-up fucking horror movie. And the conversations with Blumhouse about, like, you know, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but the the possibilities that open up if a movie's PG-13 versus R. And I think what ended up working out in their favor was PG-13. And then it, become a, it became a movie that, like, teenage girls could have movie parties for like it became like if you're 14 years old we're having a birthday party at the movie theater i'm inviting all my friends we're all going out if it's r you can't do that you know and that movie crossed 100 million dollars and i I think in good part because it opened up that chunk of the demographic once it became megan once it became something of a phenomenon um i think was a smart decision um it doesn't happen all the time most movies it probably doesn't matter but like there is that sweet spot that if you're willing to sacrifice a little bit of blood and gore, that you can maybe get a high school audience that you might not have been able to get before. If theatrical is your play. Megan was PG-13, right? It was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember watching it being like. Fucking. I remember thinking so smart not to be gory. <laughs> yeah. you, could, you could play to like a preteen audience. You know, because yeah. it's it was a horror. It was a it was Blumhouse joint, right? Mm-hmm. Presumably horror, but like you know, when you get into the realm of like fucking high tech doll and shit, you know, there's also a degree of of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, kind of to the whole affair. Right. Like I, I don't, I didn't get the impression they were putting it out there, going like, no, seriously, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like they were like. Yeah, we're here. We're at the killer doll place in our fucking the life of our company, and we're happy with that. We're broke. They were very happy with it. And they put out the unrated cut on streaming and on video, which then gooses that whole market. Because like if you saw it in the theater, you're like, ooh, this could be bloodier. Like, welcome aboard, everybody. Right. Here's the bloodier version. And you they think think anybody, that you think anybody saw Megan in theaters and was like, this could be bloodier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think there's always an audience is like. This needs more blood. You know what? Father the Bride needs more blood. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, yes, what have I what have I watched recently? Um oh shit, man. I watched this documentary yesterday. Um about Build a Bear. It's on okay. iTunes. Build a Bear is like over 25 years old now. The Build a Bear workshop. And Speaking of killer dolls. Yes. They made a, the docu- this documentary about the history of the company. And I would say it was about like 45 to 50 minutes of a straight up documentary. And then they padded it with a lot of comedy. Like Pete Holmes was going to see the movie at a movie theater. And he ran into Jerry Mathers was the usher. Mm. Um, John Lovitz was the voice of the Build-A-Bear who was hosting the show and moving without moving his mouth. Um, 
And some of that stuff seemed kind of extraneous, but the story itself was compelling because I, I like, I don't know if you and your kids were, if your kids were in the build a bear spot, sweet spot. My kid was like, just when that shit, that shit launched, I want to say in 97. So my kid was born in 99. Mm. Bear was like always a big part of our lives. Um, so the documentary, when I saw it, I was like, you know, I'll take a trip. And it was uh, it, it was worth the trip if if you've ever fucked with a build a bear or it meant anything to you across the spectrum. <laughs> um, I watched that and I watched this documentary on HP, well on Max, called BS High. Did you see that? I saw that. Yeah. I you know honestly turning it on, I was like, I ain't gonna give through ten minutes of this because I don't give a fuck about sports, but. That was not a sports documentary. As much as it was a sports documentary, it was fucking nuts, man. Like, like, look at this sociopath. (laughs) But the whole time I'm watching him be interviewed for this movie, like, finally, he arrives at the same conclusion I arrived at 10 minutes in, which is like, why would you sit for this? Why would you do this? (laughs) And he actually gets to that point in the interview where he's like, I don't know why I did this. (laughs) It's like, yeah. You did not help your case one iota. No, um, it's but a it's... fascinating documentary if you've not heard about the, which I didn't, the Bishop Sycamore scandal. Yeah, had... which I, I remember when it was playing out in real time, when people were like, is this school real? Like, I remember even seeing the clips on Twitter where they would have this, the commentators for the game that they played and they got destroyed. Where they're like, this isn't even a school. Like, they don't have a home field. Like, who are these kids? Where What's happening here? That was, I mean, that, that they did an excellent job of, Cabela, uh, of, of uh, conveying that in the documentary. Apparently, these kids, this high school didn't really exist. Um, this con artist, uh, admittedly, calls himself con artist in the documentary, mm-hmm. um, kind of puts together this team, which if they win or even place, you know, or, you know, just or, are competitive in the least. This is the bad news bears. Yeah. Like that's what blew my mind the whole time I'm watching this. I'm going like, if, if things went just 50% better on the (laughs) feet, it's a Disney movie. It's fucking, it's the mighty ducks. It's fucking every sports movie you've ever seen where, you know the fucking the underdogs the downtrodden they shouldn't happen but it happens and shit and so the whole time like i'm not saying like i agreed with the main character or or, you know the the guy but i could see like whenever he was talking his his life was like and and his thoughts were punctuated by pop culture moments Mm-hmm. a lot of pop culture references and yeah, lots of remember the titans and-, <laughs> and even thanos and marvel movies and like but just seeing life through the prism of a three-act structure which is like maybe again I, i'm not like uh i sympathize for the guy or something like I, like that but like i was not so hardcore shitty judgy because like I recognize a, a dreamer. Like I know he's a con artist, and the whole thing was a scam. 
But on some level, that dude was also like, yeah, but like, if it works, like, everyone lives happily ever after. He referred to himself as like Hannibal Smith. He loved the A-team. And he mm -hmm. loved Hannibal Smith because like Hannibal Smith would always come up with a plan. Plan wouldn't go according to plan, but it would always work. And like at one point in the documentary, Cackle's like, I love it when a plan comes together as if all of this was his design to get to this point. Like it, it was, it's a fascinating watch. Yeah. Like, um, every, like every sports movie, the engine is hope. But the thing of it is, is that he's all about the exploitation of hope. Be like, I found a bunch of kids who have this dream of being able to play at the collegiate level, of getting into the pros, of using this as a stepping stone. And like, so do I. Like, I've got ideas about how to run a team. I've got ideas about how to take us to the next level. But the thing that he never does is take responsibility for that exploitation. Like, he 100% believes that everything he did was above board. Um, and he treated those kids with as much respect and care as anybody should, where all of those children, I mean, not to give away the ending, but they're all broken because of the experience they had with him. He and by the way, it. and by the way, not even children. <laughs> like what, 22, 23. Yeah, he was fucking with the with the dreams and hopes of like not even kids, but like 20-year-olds, 22-year-olds. Yeah. Like, but that's what was particularly heinous about this is like, you know, think of your dream, whatever your dream is, that thing where you're like, oh my God, fucking like that would make my life. That's what these kids feel about football. And somebody comes along and is like, I can make your dreams come true. I could still take yeah. you to vision one, even though you don't have the grades and you haven't been in the schools that let, lead in that direction. So it really was preying upon their, their dreams, which is what every con artist or scam artist does. They find that thing that means something to you and, fucking work it and stuff but no different mm -hmm. than if somebody were to like come to me pre fucking clerks and be like you know i hear you want to make movies i can make a movie for you you just need to put together all this money and shit like yeah it's, it's every person who got off a bus in union station in hollywood and there's some dude waiting there for you who's like hey you want to be in movies i know how to make you in movies and then shit goes wrong <laughs> it's fucking fascinating and also like a primer on how you can really work the system. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're willing to live with a bunch of judgments against you, like they these they would put these kids up in hotels, motels, and basically they figured out if you check into a motel, say, you know, 50 rooms or some such shit, and you're like, we're going to be here for like, you know, X amount of time, a month, two months. Um, and you put no money down except maybe like the opening deposit or some such shit. You can get away with staying at a place for like three months. Three mm -hmm. months, that's when they'll they'll boot you out. So three months apparently is a football season. So that's what he would do with the school is like move kids into these motels for like until they got evicted. And these evictions were under the kids' names. So yeah. it's something that will follow them for the rest of their lives. And they had no clue. He like, was taking out credit cards in their names. Yes. And loans. He took out loans in their names. $20,000 fucking loans in the names of uh, yeah, the kid. PPP loans. Right? Yeah, the PPP <laughs> loans. It is 
you know, again, I ain't saying like this, this uh, poor dude got railroaded. He's a, he's a con artist, but if things just go in the, this direction, this much better, he's fucking, they're writing books about him and they're Disney's making a movie about this unlikely scenario of outsiders who yeah. pushed against the rules and redefined the game. The other thing I walked away just learning, which I had no idea about, because again, I don't follow sports at all, is there's a school called IMG, which is like the best athletic school, high school in the country. And mm -hmm. their program, because they did footage of their school, looks like a fucking college. Like, yeah, it, it, it's crazy money going on and i think know. back in back in like the the 80s and 90s img was also big in training tennis players mm -hmm. and i think like andre agassi came out of there i think william sisters spent some time in there like that's just what they would do is they would scout like the best players in the world get them in the in this in the school train them the fuck up and not even like we're doing classes just we're teaching tennis or we're teaching whatever the fuck it is and then become their managers as they went on into the pros and got a piece of that money that they, that they invested in, in their time and training. And then eventually began to absorb other sports, including football. And like, if you do that, if you get enough kids coming out of there or go to the pros and you get 10% of their like lifelong salary, then yeah, you can build the Epcot center of training facilities. Yeah. It's worth a watch, kids. If even if you're not like I don't like sports and shit, I'm not a sports person. But BS High, I believe it's yeah. called, um, for Bishop Sycamore High. But BS High, really compelling watch. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, not really about the stuff we generally talk about on this show, but uh, not outside the parameters. No, there's okay. definitely a villain. Well, yeah, there's a bad guy. That's true. He has a bad guy. Uh, welcome back, kids. So it's been last time we did this, I guess, was when we did a live from New Jersey. Indeed, yeah, in uh, in, in August for the the uh, the uh, keep calm and carry on. Um, can I show you two cool things before we get going? Look at this, sure. a screenplay. Aww. Oh, Ooh. thick as a dick. Thick as a dick is right. You drop this from a house, you'll kill somebody. Uh, this is the one of the premiums this this uh, year on uh, that Kevin Smith Club as we're doing published versions of the screenplay. You join that KevinSmithClub.com. Also doing challenge coins, son. Mm. Look at this. Look at that young whippersnapper. I know. So it's Kevolution. It's Kev through the ages. So it's a bunch of different looks. This one is. Uh, Kev from 1999 to 2005. Uh, the next one is 2005 to 2010, so forth and so on. Apparently, I changed my looks like fucking Madonna. So uh, we decided <laughs> <laughs> that's what we would make our premiums at that Kevin Smith Club about uh, mm -hmm. this, this year. Kids, what are you waiting for? Don't sleep on that Kevin Smith Club. Come join us. That Kevin Smith Club. Uh, dot com. What else can I sell these kids while I'm at it? Oh, uh, I'm going to Spookala in Tampa this weekend, Florida. I'm coming hard all over your face, neck and chest. Then I'm going to go see my mother afterwards. How filthy is that? 
Um, so yeah, in Tampa, they used to do a thing in Ocala called Spookala, and now they're doing it in Tampa. So you can come out and see me and Jay on Saturday. I think Jay is there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, and then in New Jersey, October 12th, next week through the 15th, the Smog Castle Film Festival, the second annual Smog Castle Film Festival uh, launches. Uh, the opening night screening is Chasing Chasing Amy with filmmaker Sav Rogers. So uh, there's some stuff I got to sell you. Tickets for that, it's mycastlecinemas.com. Anyway, uh, we probably have bills to pay as long as we're doing. We do indeed. We have a new sponsor. New sponsor. I was just going to hold it so everyone thought that my fucking screen glitched. Um, who's the sponsor, Mark? Tell them. The, the sponsor is fume be smart don't start kick the habit and put it out before it puts you out all phrases we've heard a hundred times yet we still continue to do bad habits like insert your own bad habit here whatever you like but our sponsor fume is on a mission to accelerate humanity's breakup from the bad habits that consume far too many of us fume is a natural diffusive device that uses plants and behavioral science to help you trade out your negative habit for a positive one Stuff like maple pepper. What are the other flavors? Uh, let's see. I got maple pepper. I got raspberry lemon. I got white cranberry, orange vanilla, um, sparkling grapefruit. What is this one? Oh, more orange vanilla. Ooh, crisp mint. That's all I got. Those packets look like condoms, kids, but they're flavors for your fume, man. So uh, if you're somebody with an oral fixation, if you just got to have something in your mouth, you got to be sucking on it. You got to be blowing on it and shit like that. You're one of those cats, man. Likes to pass the time when you drive a car or whatnot. Fume is absolutely lovely. I don't know why nobody thought of this shit earlier. Natural flavors. It's all natural, isn't it, Mark? It is. And fume is not a vape. It's a non-electronic device designed to transform your negative habits. Instead of pods filled with potentially harmful chemicals like a vape, fume uses cores infused with plants like peppermint and cinnamon for delicious natural flavors. Uh, and with its with a new adjustable airflow dial, hear that? And a magnetic end cap, your fingers will always have something to do. So the easiest way to drop, stop a bad habit is to switch to a positive one. And Fume is designed perfectly to do just that. It's Fume's goal to take to make switching easy and even enjoyable. There are thousands of five-star reviews from people just like you who successfully switched when other solutions didn't work. So head to tryfume.com, that's T-R-Y-F-U-M.com, and use the code FATMAN to save 10% off when you get the Journey Pack today. The Journey Pack comes with three unique flavors and the new version 2 Fume to help kickstart your positive habits. That's tryfum.com and use the code FATMAN to save an additional 10% off your order today. And thank you to the good folks at Fume for sponsoring this podcast. We do, man. We thank the good folks at Fume for jumping on board with us. Try out Fume, folks. Somebody in chat also said, I don't look like myself. I don't know what that means. They were like, who, where is Kevin Smith? And what have you done with him? 
Well, because you're a tribal council, and so that's a it's a slightly weird look for you. That it's true. The environment is off. He was wondering why. Oh, look who's here! Who's joined us, kids? It's Banff Man. Listening to you guys talk about fume, I can't help but remember several months ago Kevin hitting the uh, lavender scent constantly. So somebody must have been watching the show and said, "Hey, we have this product." That people can do <laughs> just like Kevin Smith hits the lavender. So smart. That's why. Indeed. That's why they're like that guy, the guy who was hitting the lavender all hard, man. He'll know what to do. <laughs> Here we are. Yeah. Um, thanks to Fume for jumping on board. Indeed. Our indeed, indeed. Um, all right, man. Let's uh let's talk about some shit. Let's talk about some shit. We can talk about, uh, I mean, the the big news, we can talk about that, which is, you know, if you guys have been under a rock for the last week or so, um, the Writers Guild of America, both East and West, has uh, has reached a tentative deal with the studios. It has been approved by both the Board of the West and the Council of Elders in the East. And now that deal is out for ratification by the members. Um I voted to ratify it. Um, I, I believe in this deal. I understand what it gets us. I think it's a good deal for us to get. Um, I think the ratification period ends like next Monday or so. And at which time, if the membership votes for it to pass, it goes, there's a bill, our bill becomes a law, kids. Um, now, this is something, if you've been following this show, um, you know, we were deeply invested in the strikes. Mark's even far more so uh, than me. Mark was on the line. You know, I was on the lines twice. Three times? Twice. Three times, I think. How many times you were you on the lines? Um, Over the course of the 148 days that the writers were out there, um, probably about 50, maybe 60 times. Um, usually two or three times a week. Um, for the entirety of the run, um, and uh, and you know it it ebbed and flowed. You know, like it started strong, the spirits were high. By day, like by month two, when it's like middle of July and it's a hundred degrees in the valley, and walking that picket line can be a little bit hard. But then the actors went on strike on day seventy eight of the writer's strike. The actors went out, and much like. Uh, like any like any movie where the cavalry shows up to to save your heroes, um, the actor showed up to breathe some fresh air, and add a an, an inning of of good relief pitching, um, to to the to the picket lines, and then for another seventy some odd days, um, both unions were out there together, and it was you know it, to say it was hard is a bit of an understatement because it's physically exhausting, physically taxing. The 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 uncertainty of it because nobody knew when it would end um, took a toll on everyone. But when adults finally sat down and had conversations for real about putting this to bed, it took three days, three days of negotiations of conversations with with good faith towards bringing this thing to a close. And conversations started on like a Friday and or Thursday, I think it was, and. Uh, and we had a deal by Sunday night, and uh, uh, it's a good deal. 
I saw Seth Meyers. Was it Seth Meyers? No, John Oliver, I think, um, on his show was talking about, I'm glad they made a deal, but this is a deal they could have made on day one. Absolutely. Like there's, there's, there's a little bit of resentment. I mean, listen, there was, there was, I'm not going to say it was bad blood. It was just boneheaded gamesmanship on the part of the studios to make it personal when it never had to be to talk about things like we want them to lose their houses and their apartments. We're in it until, you know, people start to really, really hurt um, that we were the ones being unreasonable that, you know, a A, B, C, D, and E, the, the let's smear the opposition playbook was seemed to have been their playbook, but yeah, like we made an offer. They refused to engage with it and didn't engage for 120 days. And they could have done this. It took three. It didn't need to take 148. And that is uh, that is entirely on the part of the studios who thought that resolve was a breakable thing. Um, and uh, that's that's the biggest frustration is that God, we could have been done with this in a month, three weeks, two weeks, a week. You knew you were going to make a deal because you had to. Why did it have to take so long? You know, and the actors now, it doesn't seem like it's going to take that long because SAG is currently meeting with the the, the studios. And I hope that it doesn't take that long. I hope that it's not another two months before they get their deal. I hope that at this point, everybody realizes we just have to get back to work. We got the writers writing. We got to get the actors acting. The directors have been waiting like good boys for uh, the actors and the writers to get their shit together. And it's together. So And girls. Um, and girls. The, uh, yeah. Well, some of them have been sit waiting. <laughs> some of us got fortunate and got a waiver and got back to work and stuff um but nice to see that everyone is now heading back as did the writers get everything they wanted um no um but that is the that is the reality of a negotiation like nobody gets everything that they want everybody's got to give um but the the WGA's position and I agree with it is a, we got we got something for everybody. Um, every every category of writer uh, received some kind of boost. Um, screenwriters got minimum increases. They got uh, two step deals, which means that if you're a screenwriter and you sell a movie, historically you got to deliver one draft. Like, I, here's my first draft. I hope you like it. And then they had to decide whether or not to bring you back and do a rewrite on that draft. Um, lots of times they would take the first draft and say, thanks very much, we're going to have another writer rewrite it, and down the line. Now we're guaranteeing a two-step deal, which means that you have to pay for at least one rewrite, um, which is huge. I mean, that's real money. That's how that's how feature screenwriters make their, their living, is by doing drafts of scripts. Um, comedy and variety, variety writers got minimums and, and, and guaranteed numbers and weeks in the room, which they'd never had before. Um, and TV writers, which make up the bulk of the, of the WGA membership, um, probably got the most, um, they got minimums increases, which is great. They got health and pension, health and pension increases, which is great. Um, writing teams now can be counted separately in terms of meeting your minimums for health. Used to be if you were in a, cause it's a monetary thing, like you've got to make $42,000 a year to qualify for health. If you're in a writing team, you're splitting that $42,000, mm-hmm. which means that suddenly you had to do twice as much work to qualify for your, your benefits. 
Now they've erased that particular stipulation. AI protections are in place, meaning that you have to disclose if an AI, if you're receiving AI material to rewrite, AI cannot be the first writer on board. So even if you give somebody, you know, here's a wonderful feature script about a duck who learns how to tap dance, then whatever human you give it to becomes their original idea. Stop giving out good ideas. <laughs> that duck that tap dances picture is a winner. That's Barbie big, son. Barbie. Um, Get Greta Gerwig know, on that dancing duck picture. It's all about the exploitation of minors. We'll have a billion dollars, <laughs> for heaven's sake. Um, you know, we finally got some transparency on the viewership for streaming um, things, and there's actually um, incentives and performance-based bonuses for streamers. It's not as robust as I think that they would have wanted, but it's still what never existed before. Um, there's uh, staffing requirements. You have to have a certain number of writers on a TV show, and that scales depending on how many episodes that you're doing. Um, there's now a requirement to pay certain writers on that staff to be there for production, which never used to be there before. Um, staff writers on TV shows um, didn't used to get paid to write their scripts. Um, now they do, um, which writing is writing, and they always should have been, but that had never been the, the, the deal. You know, they, they've had, they put um, penalties, I suppose is, the, is not the quite, quite the right word, but the mini room problem where you would convene a writer's room before a show got a green light and pay those writers sort of scale as opposed to whatever they negotiated for. Um, it's getting writer's room work for a bargain as opposed to paying people what they should be getting paid. It's become more expensive to do mini rooms, which will incentivize them to just do a regular room. Like, it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. Um, they didn't get everything they wanted. I think they wanted stiffer um, AI protections. They wanted weekly payments for screenwriters. They wanted to uh, have writers being paid, especially on a TV show, to be in post-production, to be in the editing bay because that is also still writing. Um, but that stuff, they're like, hey, listen, we couldn't get everything. We're going to try in the next one. Every negotiation, every three years, we go back to the table and try to get better and better and better deals for everybody. But it's a pretty good fucking deal. It's a pretty good fucking deal. And and I was thrilled to to be in the Palladium when the, the WGA sort of announced victory and they went over all the terms of the deal, and it was it was this wonderful kind of rally. It was a, it was it was a political rally for for a party you can hundred percent agree with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and and it was it was a great way to sort of thank the leadership and thank the negotiating committee and thank Drew fucking Carey for spending what had to have been millions of dollars over the course of the strike. Because I'm not sure if you remember this, Kev. But if you were in the Writers Guild of America and if you went to Bob's Big Boy in Burbank or Swingers in Hollywood and you showed them your WGA card, Drew Carey picked up the tab for your meal. However often you went in there. If you went for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with your WGA card, it was free. You didn't tip. You didn't pay anything. And it all went to Drew Carey's tab. He did it in the 2007-2008 strike. He did it for this strike for 148 days. If you're a Guild member, you could eat for free which for a lot of people who were on this, uh, this sort of cutting edge of poverty, like food is a big fucking deal. And, you know, like that's, nobody has to do that. 
but that's that was his way that's really awesome man yeah that was his way of supporting the strike he's like i'm not walking i still got to do prices right but writers eat for free while we're on strike wow that is very very cool yeah you know and i got to i went to swingers once um which is it's on like fairfax and la cienega i think it is um Swingers, kids, if you've ever been, if you've never been to Los Angeles, and if you remember independent film of the 90s and whatnot, there was a motion picture uh, with a guy named John Favreau, who never amounted to much, uh, and uh, Vince Vaughn, and that was called Swingers. And in Swingers, they're at a cafe. Oddly, Oddly enough, it's not Swingers. Swingers didn't take place at Swingers. It took place at the Cafe 101, which has now changed names and ownership. But uh, Swingers, which is like a diner in Los Angeles on, was it Melrose? Um, Fairfax, I think. But I mean, but it's on Beverly. 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 There it is. They have a a vegan menu as well. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like pure Jersey diner, but done Los Angeles style, very hipster and stuff was very popular it still remains popular but like was mm-hmm. you know in the aughts i i think that was when it rose to prominence that was but, a heyday yeah, that's not a cheap restaurant either i mean they're not mm-hmm. like overpriced but like to pick up a bunch of people's breakfast lunch or dinner over the course of that long ass strike like jim carrey got it rich man i mean price is right is no fucking joke the Drew Carey show was a joke. Like I guess, he's done ex- extraordinarily well for himself, and that that's his version of of paying it back. And I was in Swingers once, and you know, I walked out with a with a group of friends, and Drew Carey was just sitting at the counter, like doing a crossword puzzle, just hanging out. So we got to fucking thank Drew Carey for buying us lunch and for buying a hundreds, you know, whatever sixteen thousand people. He picked up their lunch tabs if they wanted to go. Um, which is beautiful. It's really cool, man. And that makes me like, it's not like I was like, I had no respect for Drew Carey, but that fucking makes me respect the shit out of Drew Carey. Um, somebody in the chat says, I heard it totaled, totaled around $750,000 with both Bob's big boy and swingers. I mean, I, I, I don't know how much it did, but I, I would, I would maybe even guess a bit more. Because that's a long time. That was a lot of writers. The place was packed every time I was in there. Espinosa, nineteen eighty nine, and chat said, "Hey, Kevin, as a theater owner, because as we all know, I own Smod Castle Cinemas um, in Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey. Go to smodcastlecinemas.com <laughs> right now for tickets. What are your thoughts on the Taylor Swift Eras Tour movie deal with AMC? Do you know about this? I do." What is? Um, you know, I know we're get we're not an AMC theater, but I know we're getting that Taylor Swift movie at Smod Castle. Yeah, it's the Taylor Swift to be followed by Beyonce. Um, went to a handful of movie studios. I think Universal was her first stop, and said, "I shot this concert that I had just been on. You know, the one that's made you know hundreds and hundreds, if not billions, of literally a billion dollars. That tour made a billion dollars. Yeah, and it was like, hey, I shot it." It's it's cut. It's ready to go. Do you want to distribute it? And the 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 terms that the studios gave her were awful. And her father, who's apparently a lawyer and I think maybe her business manager, was like, "Don't take that deal." 
like go straight to the fucking distributors. And so they went to AMC and made apparently an incredibly favorable deal for Taylor and company. Um, and they've already had a hundred million dollars in pre-sales. Um, and I think they then since decided to, they either found a distributor or were dealing with chains directly other than AMC so that other theaters like Smart Castle Cinemas in Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey can get a hold of it. But, and then Beyonce did the same thing. Like she went straight to the, to the she's four walling it, except, you know, directly to 4,500 screens, um, but sidestepping the distributors and just getting all of that money. Sidestepping the distributors. What a fucking crazy <laughs> original idea. I, I just so mad I never thought about doing that myself. I'm so mm. flabbergasted. I just wish I had something as successful to sell. Fuck. <laughs> um, you know me. I've long believed in the fucked up middle dick process. Um, <laughs> and I like taking my movies out on tour myself so like red state jane silent bob super groovy cartoon movie yoga hosers jane silent bob reboot clerks three um these are movies that i also bypass distribution traditional distribution mm -hmm. um but man oh man like what fucking studio is dumb enough to fuck her over like that's free money yeah she shot she came to you with finished product man you could have just been like yeah all right it's an acquisition and here we go but that she you know their unscrupulous behavior forced her to find a fucking workaround and yeah now she's gonna make even more money <laughs> how do you make more than a billion dollars on a fucking billion dollar tour well you do a motion picture release they're talking about this thing's gonna open 125 150 million dollars I mean, it's already pre-sold a hundred million dollars worth of tickets. Like, and I think I think Beyonce's Renaissance tour is only even going to play Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights. They're not even going to do midweek. So smart, man! Like, use a movie theater, you know, for a bunch of types of entertainment. You know, it's like yeah, it, it's the fathom it stuff. This may, be, this may usher the return of the concert movie. I mean. I mean, between these between these two flicks and stop making sense, like mm -hmm. fucking literally charting in the top ten as a <laughs> big twenty four re release by just playing on a bunch of IMAX screens. I think so at this point. That's that's a huge story as far as I'm concerned. This movie's older than fucking sin, man. Came out in like what eighty six, eighty seven, and you know, not only is it reunited the talking fucking heads. But it's earning serious dollars at the box office. Nostalgia is a hell of a drug, man. Could be the thing that saves cinema's music. Go figure. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it? Um, so yes, the writers, the writer strike is over. Writers are back to work. Um, the actor strike continues. And you know, I've still been out on the picket line for a little bit to support the actors because when they came out for us, it was a huge deal. And so so long as I'm not in a writer's room and not otherwise preoccupied, then I'll be on the line. Like, actors are fucking great. Actors <laughs> are cool. They smell good. They, they, they look good. They Look's sing famous. songs. They're famous, man. Famous, man. Be around famous people and shit. That's why we're in this business. We like to be around famous people. <laughs> you too can be around famous people. I need guy liner. 
you and me gotta start wearing guy liner. Just one layer, right? It's just a little bit of a you're gonna look like the, the mayor of Gotham City. Yes. As a matter of fact, <laughs> that's yes. what I was thinking of. I was like, you know what I want I would look like as the mayor of Gotham City. Mr. Carbonell. Um, let us uh talk about um things that we have seen. Indeed. Let us, I, I hesitate to use the term review, Mark, but let us recap some things that we have seen. Indeed. I've seen some things. May I go first? Please do. Moments before this program began, and this is my Fitbit, mm-hmm. my fancy Fitbit. I've got the most basic Fitbit. When we were in Sierra Tucson, when I was in the Nuthouse, this is how they track you. Like there oh, were no nice. clocks anywhere, so you didn't know what the fuck time it was or anything like that, right? So the only way you knew what time it was by was by the Fitbit. And that's also how they tracked you. They had us all on a fucking computer so they could see where you were and shit like that. But that was when I also fell in love with the idea of like step counting and shit. Honestly, so I've never been a watch guy, but now ever since the booby hatch, I've been wearing a fucking Fitbit. It's very um, Logan's run. Right? It is very Logan's Run. And so I said when I was in there, I was like, this place is like Logan's Run. They're like, you're crazy. I was like, that's why I'm in the booby hedge. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, I, I extended it out there not to show off the lowest end Fitbit there is, Mark, but to, to <laughs> mind the looking at time because moments before this show began mm. was in that room right over there watching Loki. Ooh. I, I watched Loki episode, uh, season two, episode one, kids. It's now available on Disney Plus um, just uh, as of 6 p.m. tonight, Pacific, uh, and uh, 9 o'clock, I guess, Eastern. That would stand to reason. Uh, you, too, could be a part of the Loki magic. Join the TBA. Um, good. You know, yeah. good stuff. <laughs> I like him. Here's my one beef. It has nothing to do with the show. You see these billboards of him around town? Mm-hmm. You think he I think he looks incredibly old in those pictures. And I thought maybe it had something to do with the plot, but I just think it's a poor choice of photo because he's not that old, man. He's still like young and vital when you watch the show. Um, but man, those billboards, like they make him look like a little old man, I, I felt like. They're all over well, town. Some of them, some of them, I haven't seen all. I couldn't, you know, go down the line and pick and choose, but I've seen a couple that look like they were generated by AI, which is also like, guys, read the room. Like, yeah, they're still, they're not still doing that shit after Secret Invasion, are they? I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, um yeah, Bam. that's the yeah. Hey, Banff man, you noticed this at all? So, uh, one of my trivia questions for trivia last night was actually a expert um, graphic designer went on Twitter and deconstructed the lo- some of the Loki posters and pointed back to the images that the AI used to generate parts of the poster. So yeah, it's another. It is a very big uh, controversy right now that Marvel again used AI to promote their stuff. So that billboard picture of Tom Hiddleston is AI. They're saying that it elements of the poster are AI. 
so she she didn't say it's the entire poster but she was able to point out very specific elements of specifically the poster that has like the winding path around mm -hmm. it. it is at least in part ai generated like that guy is your marvel comics yeah why <laughs> yeah and, and again like didn't they take enough shit off of secret invasions opening credits there's enough time to turn the ship. Um, weird. In any yeah. event, but you, you enjoyed uh, it though. I did. I had a good time. Um, I think it's a well-made show. It's very. I, I'm. It's. I. I don't. I. It feels like one of the influences of this show is Brazil. Hmm. A little bit. No. I mean, first season definitely had that, like, the mundanity of this fantastical thing. It's like there's file cabinets and office spaces and people are bored and just going through the motions of doing remarkable things. Bureaucracy in the midst of something magical. Yeah, 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 100%. Like, look at all this red tape about doing the fantastic. Um, Kihu Kwan? Mm-hmm wonderful uh but brand new i mean the show it was very fast really tough to get a beat on where the season's going he's glitching they don't call it that though right i'm slipping or something they call it um but he's charming man and you know i was sitting there watching tonight going this guy is fucking he's been playing loki as long as fucking kelsey Grammer been playing frazier man Feels like he's been doing it. I mean, seriously, since fucking Thor, since the very first Thor, right? Yeah, which is got to be more than ten years ago, right? I think fifteen. It feels well, it like was ten years. It was ten years it was, at Endgame. Fifteen for Iron Man, right? Right. And so Thor was within two a or year three years. Ago. Yeah, two thousand eleven. So twelve years ago. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. With a gun to my head, I would have said, like, oh no, Tom Hiddleston been in our world. He's been Loki for like nearly 20 years. <laughs> well, uh, when you make like 30 some odd movies in 15 true. years. <laughs> and also that fucking billboard ain't helping. Makes it look like he's been playing Loki for a hundred fucking years. That captures my imagination. Every time I drive through town, I look up and I'm like, who fucking okayed that? Mm-hmm. Um, unless it's part of the plot, which I don't think so. Uh, in any event, uh, definitely, you know, I, I'm in. Um, I I didn't make it past episode three of Secret Invasion. I know what happened. Um, and I watched the big fight, but so I think I'll, I think I'll probably be into this show. I like the first one quite a bit. Uh, yeah, like hope, for some reason. I hope it brings people back for him too, because it seems like people jumping off those Disney Plus shows. I mean, I was about to say, like, it's Secret Invasion was the first Marvel thing that I didn't finish. Yeah. Um, you know, just didn't feel motivated. It became obligatory. And I was like, I don't have to finish this. I'm not enjoying myself very much. So maybe I'll just stop. You know what? It'll be okay if I stop. 
you know, and, and it's, it's a weird thing to, to encounter that level of apathy towards something that you used to be a hundred percent pot committed for. Um, they, uh, they, they, they're, they're, uh, they're committed still to Kang. It seems like. I mean, I guess. Uh, I'll say that for this episode, though, uh, especially I, I appreciate as a guy who spent the last month trying to recreate 1986, which, you know, you really start to go like, fuck. Um, any other movie I've ever made, man, you turn the camera on, whatever it sees in the background, it's fine because everything I've ever done is set in the present. Mm-hmm. When you do a period piece, every time you turn the camera on, you got to make sure that anything in line in view of the camera ain't past 1986. Otherwise it runs the risk of taking people out of the picture. So our movie is not like, Hey man, Pac-Man. Hey man, a Rubik's cube. You know, it's not, <laughs> Hey, cabbage patch kids. It's not like a series of eighties fucking iconic it's not wonder women. 84. No, it really isn't. <laughs> and yet somehow it captures 1986 and not because we're brilliant, but because anywhere we put the camera, we made sure that nothing in the line of sight was past 86. So it's all a long way of saying it's hard to make a fucking period piece, hard to make something look old or look like it did when it was, you know, vital. Uh, unless you've got Loki money, because they created a 1982 McDonald's at the end of this episode that fucking blew my mind. Like, clearly they're in bed with the McDonald's people, right? Because there's been like some sort of Loki campaign or there's some sort yeah. of appeal or whatever the fuck. This, this McDonald's that is walked into at the end of this episode Spellbindingly accurate to the era. Spellbinding. <laughs> to the point where that's like, I didn't even, I don't know what the fuck happened in the scene. I was just like, this now that's that's a period piece with money right there, man. Like that fucker looked like a McDonald's in 1982. It was fucking really like I, I that more than anything else. That fucking did it for me where I was like, wow. I can smell the McDLT from here. And the guy goes, do you want to try our chicken McNuggets? They're new. And I was like, oh, <laughs> we're new in 1982. Um, yeah, so I watched Loki. And uh, Loki's, uh, we're off to the races. Worth watching. Okay. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to dig into it probably tomorrow night. Or tomorrow day. I can do whatever I want. You did, yeah, fucking, fucking, hey, you can. Well, not so much anymore. Sooner or later, you're gonna go back to work, right? I know. Well, I'm still, I, I still got shit to write, um, which is, uh, which is keeping me busy. But I'm on my own time, so I can... still got shit to write. The Mark Bernardin story. <laughs> it's like all these words. Um, what have you seen? You saw Ahsoka, right? Uh, I've seen Ahsoka, which you know. Have you seen any of Ahsoka yet, or no? I saw episode one. Okay. Um, well, you know, me and Bathman can go deep on Ahsoka in a little bit. I saw 
Sounds so fucking filthy. We're going to go deep. (laughs) I saw The Creator. What'd you think? I saw, I watched about an hour of it at the Smod Castle last week. Um, I I think it's 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 an ambitious but flawed movie. Um, I think that it's, I mean, it, like, hey, if you like, if you're a big fan of the story, uh, uh, sort of plot device of here's a grizzled older warrior guy who's lost his hope for humanity, who after encountering a young child who might be full of magic, they go on a world traveling odyssey. For him to escort her slash him to a place that will do like it's it's Lone Wolf and Cub, it's Last of Us, it's The Mandalorian, it's every version of that story that you've ever seen before. Um, some of the world building is incredibly interesting. Some of it is incredibly lazy. Um, it's the hey, what if what if we treated robots like they were humans, but also made them like sleep? So you have your hero having to sneak into a, a room of a bunch of robots napping. Like, why are robots napping? Why? Explain this to me. How does this work? <laughs> why are their eyes closed? Why? Why? Why are they? Why do you have to be quiet? Like, what is? Why? Like, it's a lot of things we thought might be cool, but don't actually bear any scrutiny whatsoever. Right. Um. You know, and, and I think that like the ending did not work for me. Uh, I won't spoil it because, hey, if you're still interested and you're going to go, but it, it did look gorgeous. Like they did spend some money on it and more like used a lot of ingenuity to make it kind of happen. Like apparently they shot the whole movie on like a, th- a $3,000 Sony digital camera that uh, that seems to have been phenomenal looking at the way you can capture low light, the way you can capture motion, the way you can capture all of that stuff kind of on the fly. Um some of the the literal VFX rendering of shit is phenomenal, um, but as a story, it didn't quite hold for me. Um, Denzel's boy is good, but Denzel's boy is always good. John David Washington. Um, but yeah, saw so that. I, I will throw some hosannas to the finale of Reservation Dogs, which I think I've talked about before. Yeah, you've uh, very positively spoken about it before. Yeah, it's very, very link later. It's very just like we're making indie stories, you know, about these four kids on a on a reservation in Oklahoma. Um, it 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 had its series finale last week, and it was beautiful. I mean, the last two episodes of that show are among the best episodes of any TV show I've ever seen. Um, it's 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 astounding, astounding work. So if you have not seen, it's all on on Hulu. Just strap in. Like it's it's probably a week's worth of a binge if you're if you're in the mood for it, but so fucking good. Electric Eliminator Five and Chat corrected you by saying, "Hey man, Small Wonder slept too." Yeah, that's the rigor we're gonna hold this robot. <laughs> that's too. the bar. Is it, did this pass the Small Wonder, wonder test? <laughs> I would also. I would also be remiss if I didn't mention that C-3PO takes a nap in A New Hope. He does. He says, like, if you need me, sir, I'll be powering down. He's like, go ahead. And he fucking knocks out. Yeah, he's like, oh, I don't want to listen to this old man speak about lightsabers. You know what, Mark? Fuck you. Our phones go to sleep. Why the fuck wouldn't a robot go to sleep? Do our phones lay in a little hammock? (laughs) Uh, That would be adorable. Oh, that would be adorable. (laughs) Does my phone have legs? 
Toby's allowed. The phone is sleeping. Um, I, uh, I, I watched, like I said about, I got to maybe not even an hour, uh, part of the movie where it's like the child. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I thought like, once again, it was the director is Gareth Edwards. Yeah. Who did Rogue One. Who did Rogue One. Prior to that also did Godzilla. Yes. And the then prior of the to new that, phrase. did that movie monsters, right? Yeah. That's yeah. what put him on the map. Is he went to like like a place where a hurricane had just destroyed an area, and then shot all this footage. He was like, "The monsters have come through here," and then only had to deliver big special effects toward the end of the picture. Mm -hmm. And that's how he got the Godzilla jobs. They were like, "Give this guy fucking Godzilla." And Godzilla, the big complaint about that movie when it came out was like, remember they were. They're like, oh, here he is. He's about to fight. And they got these two doors closing just as the fight's about to yep. begin. And then it's like, oh, I see. We keep the budget down by not showing the monster very much. Yeah. I remember my son at the time, must have been like 12, was like, is there any Godzilla in the Godzilla movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, I don't know, buddy. And this, this cat directed Rogue One, and everybody loves Rogue One. And whether or not you... You know, or like, hey, man, fucking, you know, Tony Gilroy did the Darth Vader shit, whatever the fuck. Like, that's, you know, this, my point is, this kid knows what to do with the camera. Right. He's, he's, Gareth is no fucking slouch. True direct right. through and through. And he did, he did during this sort of press cycle for, for Creator, he was like, listen, like, I've been quiet because who doesn't love getting to have made a Star Wars movie? I'm very proud of that movie. He's like, but I was there for like the shooting of every frame of that movie. It was like, I was there. It's like, I shot the Darth Vader stuff. Like right. Tony Garo was there. He hundred percent did some great work in helping us get over the finish line. But the, the narrative that I was replaced um, is, is a false narrative. And it's like, Hey man, good for you. Stand up for yourself. Yeah, really. Um, okay. Uh, Res dogs, uh, brick something says res dogs is beautiful. So you got a little backup there. No, it's just, it's astonishing. Um, there's there's always an episode or two each season that I just look at and go, holy shit. Like I didn't I didn't know you could do that on TV. Um, I didn't know you could just swing so hard for emotion and then land it um to the point where I'm all fucking teary and weepy and my face is all wet and like didn't see that coming at all. Um, so by all means, if you if you have the time and you have the talent. And the opportunity. Watch yourself some res dogs. Ian Carroll in chat says, Children of Men is hands down my favorite escort mission flick. Um, that was an escort mission flick. But Absolutely. Militia Tactics says, E.T. is clearly the best escort mission of all time. Which is true. That's an escort mission. I, I did see some dude in the chat was like, my favorite escort movie? Pretty Woman. <laughs> yes, the ultimate escort movie. <laughs> Three thousand dollars, change your life. Welcome to Hollywood. What's your dream? <laughs> Send a fucking relic. Um, some people in chat been asking us if we watched Gen Five. Did you watch it? I didn't. I ha have not seen yet. No. I also have not seen it yet. Um, uh, the Bear. Still love it. Still the, love the... it. I, I've met a few more people who echo your thoughts exactly. Um. I wa I got my uh, wife to sit down and watch both uh, Spider Man's uh, cartoon movies. 
Ooh. into the Spider-Verse and across the Spider-Verse. Back to back. Ooh, did she like him? Fuck her. I loved him. Like, I never watched him back to back. That was fucking phenomenal. But she did. She really, she she was blown away by those movies. She's like, they're fucking gorgeous. I was like, yeah. right? Um, but, but yeah, I, I hadn't gotten a chance to, like, ever watch one and then the other and that what a what a great experience it was these guys these Lord miller cats and those directors jeff's kiss as we say on the show uh all right man do ahsoka uh well i'm gonna need i need a bath man to talk about ahsoka bath man get Um, your ass in here bath bath man is not only going to talk about ahsoka with mark uh is gonna talk about something else later on, man. Coming up soon. He is. We got we got a Star Wars twofer. Yeah. Um he went deep uh, into Star Wars land. He's gonna tell you something about uh, it. But I'll, meanwhile, I'll give you a hint. I loved one of them. <laughs> oh well, I know the one that you fucking loved. You won't stop talking about it. So clearly it's not Ahsoka. Um, I, I, I mean, I, 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 we all know how much I love Rosario Dawson. I thought she's wonderful as Ahsoka. Uh, but episode one felt very long to me. Now, you know, of course, I'm a student of the Internet, so I, I know episode five is where a lot of people feel like it kicks in and becomes the show it's meant to be and stuff. But uh, episode one was was long and, and not bad, but just long. And uh, it. <laughs> I figured, like, you know, I'll wait for the rest of these to gather up before I finish watching. So I kind of fell off at one. There's a there's a lot of air in the show. There's a lot of, like, hey, if we cut this a bit tighter, it can move a bit faster and we can get to where we're going. What do you think, um, do you think that's all about? Because those shows are not, I don't think of them as airy. It's not generally. Yeah, there's, there's a, lot a lot of air, of- like. There's the there's six minutes where she's she's like swiveling the tops of rods. She's in the map room at tennis and she's just doing this thing and it's taking a long very long time. It's so funny you re- referenced that scene because I remember that was the first time as I was watching, I was like, is she still working? Is she literally gonna go to all three pillars? Like yeah. they're not gonna quick cut it. It's not like what it seemed like they were getting paid by the minute. <laughs> you know what i'm saying like it was just like they're like let's string this fucker out normally pretty tight efficient storytelling but there was a lot of a lot of like weird visual expository stuff that felt like it could have been trimmed yeah i mean it does it, it has the feel of a we have to hit a certain runtime and we didn't have enough story so just like leave it all in like, let's not cut anything for time. Um, but I think that that over the course of the show, and we we talked about, you know, JC and I, my general feelings about it, which were um, not having any knowledge whatsoever of Rebels and only having a sort of passing familiarity with, with the Clone Wars, this show did not welcome me in as somebody who does not know who these characters are. Um, I don't know who Ezra Bridger is, except all I get is that everybody wants him back. I do not know who Thrawn is, except I get that nobody wants him back. But the show never explains to me why. It doesn't really explain the relationship between any of the characters on screen. Like, I don't really know what Sabine and Hera and, and Ahsoka, how their dynamic works. 
because so much of the show plays it in the same kind of stoic monotone. So I never got a sense of what those characters meant to each other, other than they knew each other. I don't know how they left it the last time they spoke. I don't, there's no energetic charge when they show up again. Like it just kind of, it exists at this sort of steady three and it never spikes at any point. Um, and, and getting to the end of the show and like, yes, episode five, half of it is phenomenal because you get Anakin Skywalker, you get Clone Wars, you get young Ahsoka, you get the feeling of what Darth Vader would have been had he not lost a fight to Obi-Wan Kenobi. You'd get the feeling of, oh, this is who Vader was supposed to be. This is the Anakin that that has all of his faculties, that isn't breathing through a tube, that can fucking kick ass. And that's really interesting. So what if Star Wars? It's what if he didn't lose? What if he did? What if the high ground didn't matter? It's what that is. And it's great. But then you have another half of an episode where it's people wondering if Ahsoka's alive or dead. It's like, she's alive, guys. We know she's alive. The show's called Ahsoka. Like, you cannot build tension out of a thing that has no tension. Um, and without tension, why are we in any of these scenes? And by the time you get to sit, go ahead. I, I was just going to say to echo that, it's almost as if the main characters in the show all know they're the main characters in the show and nothing can happen to them. So they're not, I mean, it was like the best space battle we've seen since Return of the Jedi, where everybody was like, well, I guess our shields are down. Isn't that important? Isn't that, no, we're the main characters. It's cool. Like there's yeah. no urgency in any of the characters about the stakes of what's happening. No, everybody's got plot armor. So nothing matters. Um, and nothing matters even emotionally. Like by the time you get to the finale, um, which, you know, is fine. But guess what, guys? Thrawn has returned because of course he did. Um, we found Ezra Bridger because of course we were going to, um, but there's no emotional response to anybody's part about these things happening. I still don't know why Thrawn is so bad. And he's been in three episodes of this show and I don't get it. I don't get what makes Ezra Bridger different from every other fucking Jedi I've ever seen. Other than he's got a pretty cool beard and seems a little happier than everybody else. But why am I supposed to care other than that? You tell me I am. Um, and, and, and the urgency is so weird. Like there's, there's a scene in, in the finale where all three of your leads are back together again, right? Like Ahsoka traveled through space whales and, and Sabine lied to people and gave away the bad guy globe and all the things, but they've all found Ezra Bridger and it's like, Hey, great. Okay. What should we do now? Let's just fucking hang out with these turtle creatures and drive this spaceship as slow as we possibly go to nowhere as opposed to should we go do with the bad guy who we know is here no no not until we have to there's also uh, a weird conversation so the backstory is is that ezra saved the galaxy by disappearing with grand emerald thrawn at the end of rebels and they found this kid for the first time he was what 10 years old 11 years old when he disappeared he's now a 22 year old man in that age group and there's a scene where sabine is catching him up like this guy sacrificed his life 
for the rebellion and disappeared before it even started essentially and sabine's like yeah the rebels won the imperials they blew up the death star the battle of endor and ezra's like oh that's cool as like she's telling the story to ezra and he's responding the way that like we would respond because we've seen return of the jedi for the last 40 years but this is a guy who gave up everything so that the rebels would have like the smallest chance of success and his response is oh that's cool i can't mm-hmm. that, that's great that's great the good guys won not like oh my god it worked i my sacrifice was not for naught i've i'm I'm still a a virgin living with space turtles in a space where I'm eating straw for the last 10 years and it's all been worth it because we won. He's just like, cool. Yeah, there is no emotional connection to anything. I don't know what Ahsoka's story is in the first season. I don't know what whatever she went through says about her. I don't know what her quest was other than to find Ezra, which she kind of does, but Sabine does it first. Like, what's her win by the end of that season? And it doesn't have to be a plot win because she can lose. Like, Luke can lose in Empire in Empire Strikes Back. But I know what his arc was. I know what he wanted to do, and I know how he failed at doing it. I don't know very much about what Ahsoka was up to for a character for whom this show is named. I don't know what she's doing. I don't know what Ezra's story is other than waving around like Hannah with space turtles. And now his friends are back. Okay. Do you have something to tell these friends? Were you keeping it secret? Like, was there something that they don't know that they need to know? Like anything to hold on to. And, uh, and, and so the show doesn't have it. Was, what does anybody know what the viewership has been, the ratings? So that was, um, an interesting thing because uh forbes releases their estimated streaming numbers and they said ahsoka the premiere of ahsoka forbes said did like 1.2 million which is not great it's about what andor did um and everybody was like andor tanked um then about three hours later lucasfilm goes 14 million people watched the premiere of ahsoka so one of them is wrong. Right. Well, I mean, th- that's the tricky thing about the the uh, the somewhat impenetrability of streaming numbers, which is Forbes, like they have one metric. And I think there's some company maybe called Bamba or Namba or something like that. Not Mambla, different company. Yeah, I was um, going to say, I, I don't know. Different organization. <laughs> but, uh, but there is one resource to report streaming numbers, but it's very scattershot it doesn't wrap its arms around every person who's watching but much like hbo used to do they'll release numbers when it's advantageous for them to release numbers like how many people watch game of thrones hbo would tell you every week did we know how many people watched generation kill no they didn't give a fuck about telling us about that because it didn't matter and so when disney plus decides to release numbers it's because they did good and yeah they have all of them and they can say but or or like the Forbes was 1.2 million households and Disney's mm-hmm. number was 14 million people. So to me, I was just like, Oh, they, they just think 12 people live in each household is, is kind of how it felt to me because right. like you know, Netflix releases like minutes watched as opposed to people watch. 
um, which is a completely different metric. And those minutes don't have to be that they finished it or they'll even say, oh, no, we had like 40 million people finish watching Squid Game. But lots of other people started watching Bridgerton. We don't know if they finished or not. Like it's it's still the Wild West in terms of reporting viewership numbers. But I mean, I just I came away from the season wondering, like, so this is the thing we're going to lead into other movies about. This is the, the pillar upon which we are now building the rest of the Star Wars universe. Um, and it feels weak. It feels it feels a little shaky. And like, yeah, Rosario is always good. Like, she's always good, even when all she has to do is stand there and cross her arms and kind of like gently smile at something she remembers that we don't know. Um, but the show itself just doesn't have a lot. It doesn't have a lot of, of, of spine to it. It doesn't have a lot of throw to it. Um, and it's sad because they're they're every resource at sort of Disney and Lucasfilm's disposal is being lobbied at this and uh and it it's not it's not paying off net not for me it it feels like kind of a second tier star wars novel turned into a movie or turned into a tv show like it doesn't feel it kind of i mean to some degree isn't it like it's heir to the empire a little bit if they're bringing in yeah uh... but it's not as compelling as heir to the empire like, they've done some cool stuff, like, spoilers, uh, it's up. They do, in Heir to the Empire, uh, Thrawn brings back cloning. And when that book came out in 1991, nobody had seen cloning in Star Wars, so that was a big deal. Thrawn was going to retake the galaxy using a clone army. Well, we've seen clone armies multiple times in Star Wars now. And so what they did in Ahsoka is they used... Night Sister Force Magic and created a a zombie army. So anybody who dies as a stormtrooper is now able to come back and fight the way a clone would. And that's how Thrawn is going to retake. And I thought that was kind of a cool take and parallel to Heir to the Empire in a world where you can't lift it directly because we've already seen Clone Wars. Um, you know, using using zombie troopers which uh were also wildly successful books um written back in the day i thought that was neat but ultimately like all your main characters seem as bored with the show as the people watching it are yeah like they're never scary you know and like Say what you want about the last couple seasons of Game of Thrones, but when you get to Hardhome and when you get to the fucking zombie white walkers that never die, like that shit is fucking terrifying. Yes. Like like when they get a zombie fucking dragon, like breathing blue fire, like, oh, like what the fuck is happening here? This just felt like it didn't it didn't bother the characters um kind of at all. Yeah, and not so one of them were like, they're dead now, they're dead now you know yeah <laughs> you know because everybody has to survive like you never got to lose anyone um yeah it is just you know super easy barely an inconvenience for them to do all the things they needed to do and then the shit that pissed me off the most i'll just tell you there's a bit at the end of the of the, of the episode where like ezra's on fucking thrawn's you know fucking imperial command ship as he's pulling away and Sabine decides to stay and rescue fucking uh, Ahsoka. 
And you're like, oh no, the friends are separated. And oh, what's going to happen to him? He's stuck on Thrawn's ship by himself. And then they cut to a to a Tiderian fucking ship landing in Hera's joint. And fucking Ezra steps out and dresses Stormtrooper. It's like, hey, how's it going? Like, what the fuck? Like, what happened on that ship? Like, apparently it was no problem for you to survive at all. Steal a ship, get home, hang out with Hera. Like, where's everybody else? Like, I just, you can't gallop over time like that as if it didn't happen. You can't pretend as if everything is as easy as it needs to be. Except that was the show where everything was fine all the time for everybody. Also, like, first off, he's going from a different galaxy to this other galaxy. So they were ostensibly in hyperspace for a long time. He's the only one on that ship. And he kept that stormtrooper armor on the entire time to 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 pull the gag at the end. Like it like even in A New Hope, those guys take that armor off the second they can take it off. You know, Han and Luke, the moment they they get to cell block uh uh AA twenty three, like those helmets are off and they don't go back on. Ezra wore it the whole time. And I know it's nitpicky, but it's just silly. It's just silly, you know, and it's just because they thought it was a cool reveal for him to be there. It's like, how'd you make it here? Oh, somehow Ezra returned. And that's all you need. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Look, we're going to talk about trilogies. Let's talk about the only trilogy that fucking matters. The clerk's trilogy, my friends. (laughs) um somebody asked me in chat uh f kusuma said kevin why aren't you talking about the new clerks trilogy box set on blu-ray looks cool i will talk about it because all three of us involved in this here show also had an involvement in one of the clerks pictures mark was in clerks three for heaven's sakes i was i Um, i have a voice cameo in clerks three that's right yeah as the scum and villainy um, throw up uh, an image from the. I just texted you that image. Um, Amazon, I think, is it an Amazon exclusive? Uh, that's think, the link. Yeah, I think it's an Amazon exclusive. They're doing this Clerks trilogy box set. Look at that! It's all three Clerks movies in one big box set, and the box looks like the front of the stores, and it's got stickers and oh. shit. But, you know fucking all over the and then on the back there's a slot for like where you'd stick your vhs overnight like if you were dropping mm-hmm. off your, we didn't have one of those at quick stop but i didn't want to fight them on this because i don't know clever that's where the dvd slip case goes man but uh that's coming out november 7th kids all the fucking clerks is you could shake a goddamn stick at in one beautiful box set from the good folks at Lionsgate and Amazon. Um, okay, Banff man, get in here and fucking tell us a story about going to outer space, son. He's All a right. space cowboy. So uh, last Tuesday, I guess a week ago Tuesday, eight or nine days ago Tuesday, uh, I entered outer space on the Galactic Star Cruiser. And... Uh, to not bury the lead, it was one of the greatest experiences of my whole life. And I had 
when they said I was always intended to go when they said they were going to close, I uh, called I called some people who I know are connected there and pulled whatever strings I could to get on. I was on the second to last voyage that it ever did. Um, but it very much felt like the last voyage because the actual last voyage, as I understand it, had been basically sold out before they announced it was going to close because it was one of the weekend voyages. Um, so for my voyage was the last voyage that the people who had been on this before and loved it went on so we had 365 people i would say probably 225 of them came in cosplay stayed in cosplay the entire time um and had characters and just went all in uh my hope and dream for this was that the immersion would be so good that for a few moments I would feel like the nine-year-old boy who dis rediscovered his Star Wars action figures with the person who would soon become his best friend because we both love playing Star Wars action figures way past the point where other kids thought that was accept an acceptable age to do it. Um, and what's crazy is, is that I didn't feel that. But what I got was almost better in that it was, um, it, they sold it as a Star Wars hotel and it was not a hotel. It was, it was like the best parts of the best escape room, live action role play, dinner theater, and like team building excursion you could ever imagine. Um, and because everybody was playing a part and playing a role, everybody was kind of, open and vulnerable in the way that like actors are when they're playing a part. So everybody you interacted with immediately became like your best friend. Nobody was on their phone the whole time. Like it was all about like being there in that moment. And like my kind of takeaway from the whole thing was like it, like I came back and Jen split. She's like, okay, you had your trip. I'm going to the Pacific Northwest for a week. Have fun being stay-at-home dad. Um, but what I found is like, because I played in outer space for 45 hours, when Jocelyn's like, let's play house. I'm like, it like reawakened my imagination in a way that like COVID and talking over a device for the last 15 years kind of walled in um so like i had the second best time of my life playing with my kid coming off the star cruiser because it like retaught me how to open up my imagination in a way that i'm sure people who play D, &D every week kind of get a taste of um but it was super intense that way like everybody when they were leaving was crying um and what's cool is like the the story starts in the same place every time and it ends in the same place every time but everything in the middle is dictated by the choices the customers the passengers make while they're there and all of the actors are improving non-stop basically you're you're on it for 45 hours 
So I was the second person to check in at one o'clock on Tuesday. And I was the last person to check out at 10 a.m. on Thursday. And for that whole time, everybody who is an employee of Disney is, is in character the whole time. If I'm like, oh, hey, where are you from? They're like, oh, Mustafar. Yeah, don't, I don't talk about it. You know, it was, um, it was insanely cool and it's all gone. <laughs> it's, we'll so that's it, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there was stuff like, um, first off, because you're there and I'll spoil the end, like uh, Ray shows up towards the end of the second day. And you have to help Ray finish. She's kind of like the superhero that comes in and finishes the mission that you started. Um, if you're on the Jedi mission and, uh, and like for the first time I like gave a shit about Ray as a character and like, she shows up and she's like, you guys, I know you're just passengers trying to enjoy this star cruise but i can't do this without your help and i'm like oh my god ray's asking for somebody's help for the first time she can't do it all by herself <laughs> um, that's character growth that's an arc yeah it was so like even the fact that like i have been slightly vocal about my dislike of the sequel trilogy um and i've hidden how i really really feel about it deep down so i don't get crucified on the internet like, I liked Ray and Kylo Ren on the ship because, like, the story that we were all telling when it hit the big kind of dinner theater finale, you were invested in in the what they were selling on that. It was amazing. I, you know, there was one point where they have about six different storylines. So they have the ship captain the ship entertainment director, the smuggler story, scoundrel story, the Jedi story, and uh, the First Order story. And I was pretty close to being smuggler the whole time, but I did a lot of the Jedi and a lot of the um, ship captain who was like uh, resistance, like good guy. And um, there was a lull in my smuggler missions and i was just oh and then there was one other guy that is like he's kind of like the lovable loser like the goofy or the jar jar where he's like it's my first day on the job and he keeps fucking up throughout the course like he accidentally turns chewbacca over to the imperials and gives the droid with the plans to the imperials and um he kind of takes a turn at one point and he's like, I'm going to stand up for what's right. And there's a point where he recruits all these actors are trying to recruit you to be in their mission path. Um, and I had finished the smuggler stuff and I was sitting in the lobby and this lovable loser guy comes up to me and he's like, Hey, you want to help me steal a ship? And I guess he had recruited like 20 or 30 other passengers and none of them showed up to do the ship stealing mission, which is essentially like the bridge of the ship has all of these like essentially arcade stations where it's either like you're using the tractor beam or you're doing the shields or you're shooting TIE fighters. And so you're supposed to have like 20 or 30 things. 
But on my trip, everybody wanted to be a smuggler. So nobody showed up for this guy's mission. So he no. comes. So two people of the 20 people who said they were going to be there were actually showed up. So this actor has to improv. He runs out to the lobby. I'm just sitting there drinking a glass of water. He's like, you want to help me steal a ship? So he gets like the six of us that are sitting in the lobby. So now there's should be 20 people. There's eight of us doing the job of 20 people. And he's standing at the ship council, barking orders, shoot the TIE fighter, do this thing, do that thing. We capture the TIE fighter, we get the plans, we send him to the resistance. And then during the big finale, he gets taken away by the First Order. And as he's getting dragged away, he gives his big rah-rah speech. And the big rah-rah speech typically would be like, you know, these passengers are just here for a good time. And they showed up and they helped me capture this TIE fighter, which saved the day. But the speech this time was, I got commitments from 30 of these people and none of them showed up to do the right thing. And I'm sick and tired of people in this galaxy not doing the right thing. And I've had it and I'm going to stand up for what's right. And these six people who showed up for me when nobody else did, they're the type of people we need running this galaxy. And they're just here not to shoot TIE fighters, but to have a good time. And like, all of a sudden, there's 30 people who are getting shamed for going and like watching Yoda show up in the Jedi room and not going doing this guy's thing. And I'm like in tears because I'm like, that's right. I am a good guy. I am making a difference. <laughs> so it's like, you know, that type of thing that happens here that involves you and invest you in the story in a way of like you know you watch clerks three and a lot of people cry at the end of clerks three and that's you telling a story manipulating them with the hope that somehow what you're saying is universal enough that they can attach their experience to that that thing as a storyteller this was almost like the next like evolution of storytelling in that like I wasn't reacting to the fact that like, oh, I've known people who've died and this is really heartbreaking to me. And I've watched these clerks characters. I literally made a decision that saved the fucking galaxy. <laughs> you know? So like emotionally, like it's you've suckered people in like in a, in a choose your own adventure novel. I, I, I came back and I just felt like since the pandemic, I uh, when I go to Scum and Villainy at night, I like kind of say hi to the people I know. And then I go and I hide in the office and I watch what's happening on the security cameras because I'm like, oh, this is too much. This is too much. And what I found since coming back is the sense of community for those 45 hours was so strong that like I find myself wanting to go to scum and villainy and just hang out and talk to people I don't know again. And so like for me, and like, it wasn't life changing in that, like I was depressed and now I'm not depressed or anything like that. But like, it feels like I got a little bit of like what it means to be a human being in like the age of devices back. Uh, and and I don't think it was an accident. 
Like, I don't think that Disney didn't know what they were doing there. Um, I think they just didn't know how to sell it or price it the right way. Uh, cause not, and not a single person who went that I have seen online or anything was like, that wasn't worth the money. The only people who are mm-hmm. saying it wasn't worth the money are the people who didn't go. Cause they're like $5,000 a night for a hotel that has no fucking windows. No way. Uh, it was uh, Ted, Ted, Sally, our friend and boss over at Netflix, um, from uh the masters of the universe stuff we do he went you know months ago and he said the same thing he was like it's once in a lifetime experience the immersion of it was magical whimsical it's crazy that they couldn't make this work man like disney is awesome at selling many expensive options to people and I just think they overreached with this one. I think this one was too pricey, particularly for who they wanted to go after. And there's a lot of people pointing out in chat that Vegas has had a Star Trek experience for quite some time. And you don't pay nearly as fucking much. Granted, you don't spend nearly as much time and it's not nearly as immersive, but it just feels like they fucked themselves over by making it as expensive as they did. No. And- it if they had sold it like i really think if they had sold it corporately which was like hey kevin smith like you've got 40 employees at smodco maybe like all all of your different little businesses like we can we promise you at the end of these 3 days that your people are going to be functioning as a team way better or hey google or hey amazon or hey Microsoft, or hey any giant Fortune 500 company. You know, I did. I was telling Mark before the show. I went on a tour of um, Summit Ranch, which is what used to be Big Rock Ranch, where they used to make uh, Clone Wars. And yeah. it is a very, very high-end corporate retreat place where uh, Silicon Valley money spends way more than what I spent per person to go and do team building at this beautiful place. And, um, and I feel like if they had sold star cruiser like that, it would have been booked by rich companies for six years, back to back to back. And then you could have dropped the price cause it would have paid for itself and open it up to, you know, silly folks like us. Um, Chris Green in chat said, JC, I love the bar, but if your staff would play the part, would be next level. He wants your staff to pretend that you're all in space. <laughs> um, you yeah. know, I mean, I was, I was, I was just telling JC before before the show. It's that the problem is is that you can't casually do Galactic Star Cruise. You know that not every person in the world is like, I want to fucking cosplay this shit for real, and I'm going to spend the money. Because the closest thing I can think of is like medieval times or a renaissance fair where like, yeah, like there's people there in costume that are believing it and living it. And like, I want to come and do the test of strength and eat the turkey legs and wear my knight in armor shit. I'm going to be a princess, whatever. And then there's people in just jeans and t-shirts who just kind of want to go and have a day at the fair. And I don't think you could have like a day on the Star Cruiser and not like be part of it. 
So, and so I think there's a, there's a certain self-selecting of the audience, which is not quite as big as, oh, shit, you know what I want to do? I'm going to have turkey legs and watch jousting and not have to actually joust. And go home at the end. Of and the go home. Ben Bamboo yeah. in chat says it's because they built it around the sequels instead of the original trilogy and the price point. Those two factors together. So I said, a point. I said the same thing. I said the same thing about the sequel trilogy before I went. And after I went, had nothing to do with it. The sequel trilogy, the only... Yeah, but that's after that's after you went. You yes. saw what a satisfying experience it was. But selling something, particularly something that's like $5,000, you know, the smarter play, I think, would have been, who are you going after? My kid who grew up with the fucking sequel trilogy? Or are you going after me with disposable income who dreams about being a Jedi and going on a Star Cruise? I would assume you're going after me. And if you're going after me chances of getting me are going to be a lot higher if you're like, you're going to be hanging with Luke. You're going to be hanging with Han. You're going to be hanging with Princess Leia, all your favorite childhood friends, rather than like, hey man, Ray's going to be there. I, I mean, I don't disagree, but even, I mean, like, again, the spoiler is like, that aspect of it is the last, may not even the last act of the movie. It's like, the climax of the last act of the movie. Like they are only part of that experience for three to four hours total. The right. rest of it is the characters that Disney made up to help you along, like the archetype characters to help you along the journey kind of thing. Um, it was, uh, it is a shame. It was close. It's closing. I, I think, I mean, I saw like I know people who've gone who are like whose wives drag them there because their wife is a huge Star Wars fan. And this is a computer programmer guy has lots of money. And he was the I'm wearing a Tommy Bahama shirt and cargo shorts type of guy. And even he came out of it and he's like, I don't really care about this stuff, but it was pretty awesome. Um, the other thing about the price is it's not five thousand dollars per person it's five thousand dollars per room so if you put four people in a room it's like sixty two hundred bucks which again is still expensive but like i went to dis i took jocelyn to disneyland for the first time a couple weeks ago and we went down and i was like i'm gonna book a hotel i'm gonna book the grand floridian i'm gonna take the family out and rooms at the Grand Floridian were $1,500 a night. And I was like, we're going to stay at the Motel 6 across the street, which was still <laughs> $250 a night plus $25 a day parking. So I'm at 600 bucks for my family to go to Disneyland. I don't have to buy Jocelyn a ticket because she's under three. But for me and Jen to go for one day to Disneyland, it was $1,000 for my family of three to go. So if like you and me and Mark and Ernie wanted to go to Star Cruiser, we're splitting, we're, we're paying 1500 bucks for two nights. It's not that much more expensive than going and spending two days at Disney here. Yeah. And but then the other thing all is all the food like, is included yeah. and you know, 
And it's actually However, good. As Command Z pointed out in chat, I need $5,000 to pay bills and buy groceries. Like, that is a lot of fucking money, man. And it's but, a lot of fucking money. And if I'm if I'm spending $5,000, or if I'm spending whatever the fuck for 45 hours, I love you guys, but I want my own fucking room. <laughs> and it's like, and that also seems to be their miscalculation was that I should be able to, as a person spending $1,500 a night, have my own bed in my room with my own door and my own shower. And like the weird forced bunking of like, oh no, this is for families. Nope. Not this crowd. This crowd, most of this crowd, single without kids. And so, like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like, it just seems as if a great idea was somewhat continually dinged by a series of not particularly smart decisions. Um, some of them being financial, some of them being design, but it sounds as if, I mean, if you if you could swallow all of that stuff, if you can go and surrender yourself to it, like you seem like a transformed dude. Like you seem like a guy who came out of it remembering how to play. And yeah. that is a hundred percent worth that money. But it's not worth that money for everybody. And it's it's fucking Jurassic Park. Like maybe we can have a coupon day. <laughs> like not not for that much money. I'm not gonna go see dinosaurs. Um, wow, man, you breathe in rare awesome. air. You see, you, you fucking, you, you saw a piece of the Star Wars universe that not a lot of us will ever see. Do you think they'll ever make it canon? Like throw away some reference to it? Like, Hey man, they had so, that trouble on Star Cruiser. So the canon that has been written into it is, uh, and I guess it's in a comic book or a novel. I think it's in a novel is that Han and Leia had their honeymoon on the star cruiser. And if you go down to the engineering room, I didn't see it, but apparently there's a corner of the engineering room where there's HS and like LO in a heart that they scratched into the, into the wall, which is kind of, no, oh, that's cute. That's adorable. Uh, but yeah, it was it was awesome. Also, like I'll throw up a couple pictures because I was nerding out. But like, I was th at Disney in full Star Wars cosplay. These are my buddies I went with. Um, which for Disney nuts, like you don't get to, uh, like this is me with the Millennium Falcon, like. You don't get to, this is me uh, throwing it in Disney's face. I've got a scum and villainy challenge coin at Oga's Cantina. Um, oh, like, look at you. Disney kids don't get to, like, you don't get to cosplay at the parks like that. You know, you don't get to do that anywhere, you know, except you scum know, and villainy cantina, which you can wear whatever cosplay you want and bring your lightsaber <laughs> in. <laughs> Disney bounding. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't bounding. That was just like, I'm a Star Wars guy. Uh, Star Wars bounding. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher Weeks in chat says, Disney has lost Middle America. I don't know if they've lost Middle America, but they certainly priced them out with the fucking Star Wars hotel. <laughs> I mean, God, to be yeah. fair, they priced them out with Disneyland. My, my kid's uh, preschool teacher, I was telling her we were going down to Disneyland and I was like, I can't believe we spent a thousand dollars at Disney just to go for one day. And mm -hmm. she goes, I have three kids. 
And there were times where I priced it out and she flew her family of five to Orlando and bought park hopper tickets for a week in Orlando and got an Airbnb for less money than it would have cost to do three days at Disneyland down here. Because my Airbnb in Orlando, my $250 plus parking hotel in Anaheim, my Airbnb in Orlando for a two bedroom Airbnb was 70 bucks a night. <laughs> so I got yeah. three days in Orlando for one night in Anaheim at an Airbnb. So it is. I mean, like I mean, Disney has. Disney's so ridiculous. Like, you know, it's for privilege. I mean, people. it seems the best way to spend time on a, on a ship um, and have it be immersive is to go on the cruise askew <laughs> in February. There you go. Well done, my friend. Excellent segue. Kids, we're almost, uh, I think we're at 78% sold, man. Cruise goes in February. Jay and Silent Bob's cruise askew. Join us on the high seas, my friends. Um, we announced our programming schedule this week so you could see what shows you're in for. Um, 3,000 of us on a boat, including me and Mark. JC, you going or no? Uh, I was not offered to go, but I would have declined anyway because the only thing on the on earth that scares me more than like, I, I mean, really, the thing I have nightmares about is open water. Right. Like a rogue <laughs> wave. I've watched every Discovery Channel show and like being on a deck and looking out and seeing nothing but water like makes me shake in my chair in Los Angeles. I actually looked up when we bought our house. I looked up the elevation of our house to make sure if a giant tsunami came <laughs> that we would be above the level. I'm like that crazy about it. Um, and we're at 1500 feet. So like we're good um are but, you like, terrifying water like jc kids well then join us <laughs> bob's cruises q go to james <laughs> bob cruises q.com right now sign up oh. for tickets i keep running into people in the real world who are like oh i bought tickets to the cruise i'm gonna see you on the cruise and stuff it's very nice it's jc awesome but me and mark will be there for sure it sounds Indeed. amazing jc likes to go to cruises in space not on the <laughs> yeah. ocean yeah. that don't actually go anywhere near them <laughs> that are actually just a warehouse in central florida yes. <laughs> firmly on the ground uh dk daniel 01 in chat said listening to the start of the episode kevin thinking that theaters don't care if you pay for tickets and rating systems not mattering just baffling this guy both owns a theater and makes movies yes so why is that baffling i have empirical evidence as a theater owner that like uh, me and Ernie wouldn't give a shit less if you came in and skipped around. You paid for one movie and skipped around all day at that theater and shit. Chances are you can buy some popcorns, more fucking shit, and that's where we make money anyway. So I don't understand why it's baffling that I say that when I own a theater. Like, that's why I say it, because I know where I fucking speak. And ratings don't mean a thing in our theater. Like, I think if a kid came in and wanted to pay to see fucking something rated R, I can't imagine the kids behind the counter selling tickets are going to be like, you're not old enough. Especially because we live in an age of like, you, we can tell some kid he can't see an R-rated movie and then it could be like, all right, I'll go outside and look at Pornhub on my fucking phone. Like, 
it's ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I brought those things up um, because I own a movie theater and because I am a filmmaker. I don't, I don't see why that's baffling in any event. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, enough Star Wars. Um, shall we dive into the news for heaven's sakes? Um, we have a we have a modicum of new things to talk about. Uh, got a couple of rumors, which uh, have not in any way been verified by anybody, but the internet seems to be talking about them. Hey, hold on one yeah. sec, because I got some people in chat going like Kev is promoting movie hopping. Malicious tactic says, "I love this man." Not at other movie theaters. I can't tell you what to do. But you buy one ticket to a movie at Smog Castle and you want to hop around all day, you got my fucking permission. Now, if you get caught by Smog Castle keeper Ernie O'Donnell, you play this portion of the show for him. <laughs> That'll get you out of Dutch, man. Because remember, the police station's like literally one block from the movie theater. So <laughs> before Ernie calls the cops on, you just be like, hey, look what your boy said on the internets. And you'll be fine. That's how you get around to fucking Smod Castle Cinema's rules, kids. Stick around here on Fat Man Beyond. We'll tell you all sorts of inside dope as to how to get over on Smod Castle Cinema. <laughs> and if you want to do it like an AMC or a Regal or whatever, like, listen, just go to the bathroom when they're cleaning out theaters. Go back into whatever screen you want to go into. Sit in the first two rows. Nobody buys those fucking seats, especially during the day. Nobody's going to give a fuck. And if somebody does buy that seat, move to an empty seat. It's all good. Um, I can't advocate, you know, people sneaking into other movie theaters, but I can't advocate sneaking into mine. You pay for one, you pay for one flick. I'm a happy camper. Buy some popcorn. Hopper pass. <laughs> yeah. You know what we make money off of? Not the movies. Fucking popcorn, soda, candy and shit like that. So if you wanted to come in, like we have five screens. If you wanted to come in, at, you know, at first show in the afternoon and you bought a ticket, you can fucking buy, for $7, you could see five fucking movies, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> there, I said, cut to one year from now. Smog Castle Cinema is out of business. Because he said, don't for more <laughs> movies. Was playing this clip going... <laughs> Ernie uh, Anastas is on the news talking about why. <laughs> I'm not a good, I'm not a smart businessman. Never have been. Enthusiastic. Uh, yeah, and, and if anything, I'm clever, but I'm not smart. If I was smart, I'd be <laughs> fabulously wealthy. And I'm a working stiff, Mark. I mean, granted, <laughs> I'm not like trying to say I don't make money. Granted, I get overpaid to do what it is I do, but I I have to hustle. It's not like a lot of people thought like, oh, he sold clerks, he was set for life. We sold clerks. We made clerks for twenty-seven grand on my credit cards. We sold it for two hundred and twenty-seven grand, um, and that money's long fucking gone. That money was gone in like nineteen ninety-five, and it's not like oh man, but fucking when they buy your movie, you make money forever. No, they make money forever. Whoever has it now, I think Paramount owns it now. Um. So yeah, I'm, I mean, I, but don't get me wrong. I'm not crying poor and shit, but like I gotta you know i just had an auction where i sold a bunch of artwork uh last week a bodner's auction house we sat online for like fucking six hours and i sold 170 lots a bunch of comic book artwork that i own from comic books that i absolutely love and comic books that i absolutely worked on as well which i also love um but you know 
I wouldn't have been doing that if we hadn't been living through fucking two strikes and, you know, lean times and stuff like that. So I'm not, uh, I, I ain't crying poor. Like when, when I could get work going, I work in a business where people reward you ridiculously for doing stupid shit. Like Jay says, snooch to the nooch. <laughs> but that being said, hi, are you looking for the dogs? Can you grab me a Celsius? Thank you. Um, Free commercial for Celsius right there. So, so yeah, I, I'm not, this, uh, you know, again, I'm not crying poor, but it's just, I, I have to work. Like there are people I read about all the time that are like, you know, my contemporaries who are fucking sick rich. Like if they didn't want to fucking communicate for a living anymore, they would never have to in this lifetime. Um, I, the reason you still see me all the time, kids, is because I'm fucking, I'm broke. <laughs> I gotta work. <laughs> Hustling. Vamp man, save I, me. Go I ahead. will I will say this is that uh you and I have had many, many uh business discussions, and you have successful successfully run a comic book shop, which is like the most small ball money. Not me. For 25 years. Walter Flanagan ran it for years. <laughs> and now Mike Zapsik runs it for years. If I was put in charge, that's <laughs> years ago. Fair enough. Um, yeah, just lucky and, and sometimes clever, and that's it. The older I get, the more I start to realize that. Like, oh, my God. The fact that shit worked out for you is a minor miracle. You should count your fucking blessings. And I've always <laughs> been a grateful person and shit. Probably had something to do with being raised religious, you know, because my mom beat that into me. Um, not beat it into me physically, but just, you know, into the head, into the heart and shit like that. But, um, yeah, no, I'm I'm a working stiff, man. It's just when I work, they overpay me. Thank God. That's why you risk it. That's why you're like, I'm going to fucking bet on myself and make a movie because you dream of living in a world where like all the people you grew up watching and admiring that you could make a living, make and pretend. That's my favorite thing. I don't give a shit how much I make. Like, it, you know, I don't have to be the highest paid guy in the room. And believe me, I never am. I just love that I get paid to make pretends. So I don't care whether it's 10 bucks or 10,000 or, well, I've never made 10 million, but like, you know, it doesn't matter if it's, Two figures, three figures, four figures, five figures, six figures, seven figures. Like making a dime for make and pretend, that's the sweetest money you could possibly fucking spend as far as I'm concerned. Amen. Amen. Um, okay. Yes. New of the week, number one. Taylor Swift is playing Dazzler in Deadpool 3. Is that 100% for sure? That is not at all confirmed in any way possible. It's a rumor of the week. And why is it a rumor? Because she showed up to the Chiefs-Jets football game because she seems to be dating Travis Kelsey, tight end for the, the Kansas City Chiefs. She I showed up to this game. As, I don't know him as that guy, but I know him as he was a Saturday Night Live guest host last year. He was very funny. He, he was indeed. He's a pitch man for lots of things because he's a charming man. Um, but she showed up to this game with Ryan Reynolds, Hugh Jackman, and Deadpool 3 director Sean Levy in tow. That is the source of the rumor. Could be. 
look, if if that wasn't the case, and I'm Sean Levy, and I just read that online, my next phone call is to be like, hey, do you want to come play Dazzler? Like, what a great idea that is. That's yeah. a phenomenal fucking idea. Shoot, you're talking about one of the, the biggest fucking, you know, music act on the planet playing a Marvel character known for, wait for it, singing. Like, <laughs> it's a no fucking brainer. Yes. So there is no, nothing resembling confirmation about this. It is pure speculation. But hey, if it's true, cool. If it isn't, okay. Just as good. Rumor of the week number two. Christopher Nolan is in negotiation to direct the next two James Bond movies. Why is that's, this a rumor? That's a rumor. That is a rumor. I, um, you know, it, honestly, he's, uh, you know, clearly one of the best filmmakers alive. Um, this is a dude who is just coming off of the three-hour R-rated Oppenheimer movie, which is close to a billion dollars. Yes. I, I don't know what you follow that with, but doing a James Bond movie when you were the guy who redefined Batman as an action franchise really tracks for me. Like, you know, fucking Batman has way more action than your average James Bond movie. I feel like. So I, it seems like he'd be very comfortable in that director chair for that particular franchise. I mean, like, could he do it? hundred percent. Like, Everybody of a certain age grew up. I mean, hell, everybody of a lot of ages grew up with James Bond in their lives. As a Brit, James Bond is a bit of a sort of national treasure that Brits get to handle every now and again. Um, the And the only reason why it's a thing that could happen potentially is if he just likes it and has a soft spot for Bond. Um, but it's not as if it's a job he needs to take. Um, and there is no substance to this rumor other than some dude on the internet was like, I'm going to make up a rumor, apparently. Um, but like, and I don't know, I, it, I don't know what's in it for him beyond nostalgia. Because, I mean, you don't get that much free reign with Bond. Um, he can do whatever he wants to do. And is Bond a thing he wants to do? I don't know. Fuck it. Maybe. Um, it seems a little... A little weird to me, but then again, I don't know what's in that dude's head. Maybe like Spielberg always wanted to make a James Bond movie, and then they didn't let him, so he made Indiana Jones. Um, hey, maybe no one's got a Bond movie in him, and they're looking, and they'll pay him whatever he wants to be the guy who relaunches the next James Bond in the post-Daniel Craig universe. Like, all right, sure. Maybe, or maybe not. It's just the room of the week. Don't put it on. Uh, put it on my neck. I could. Uh, I could see it. You know, and sometimes a dude just wants to throttle down. You know, like he pulled off a miracle with that Oppenheimer picture. Dude's like, let me take it easy and make a Bond movie. God bless. God bless. Uh, now for some real news. Um, James Gunn has revealed the actors um, from previous iterations of the DCU. That will survive into the new iteration of the DCU. Um, According to Mr. Gunn, nothing is canon until Creature Commandos next year, a sort of aperitif to the DCU. 
and then a deeper dive into the universe with Superman Legacy after that. Um, it's a very human drive to want to understand everything all the time, but I think it's okay to be confused on what's happening in the DCU since no one has seen anything from the DCU yet. And yet, he continues, some actors will be playing characters they've played in other stories and some plot points might be consistent with plot points from the dozens of films, shows, and animated projects that have come from DC in the past. Nothing is canon until Creature Commandos and Legacy. But he did say that Viola Davis is set to reprise her role as Amanda Waller um, for Creature Commandos. Um, he said that, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce his name, I'm sure, Zolo Mariduena uh, will factor into the new plans and will continue playing Blue Beetle in the DCU. And John Cena will persist as Peacemaker. Um, he did not say anybody else uh, that we've seen before is part of the canon. We'll be going forward. But I suppose technically he didn't say that anybody wouldn't be. Take that as you will, fans reading tea leaves. Did uh, how do I say this? I you know I I'm there have been so many. Maybe it's because I clicked on one or two over the you know the beginning of the life of this story, but like in my Google the algorithm of my Google news page feeds me so many James Gunn stories. Um, and I know it's not James Gunn's fault. I know people are just, you know, fucking excited about where the DC universe could be going or curious about where the DC universe is going, or they understand that there's a whole audience on the internet curious about it. So they put up their hot takes, likes and dislikes and shit like that. But I, you know, I, I'm I'm ready to stop talking about all of it until we start seeing a movie. Like, still seems we're like a year off from seeing a fucking motion picture, right? I mean, at least you know, Superman uh, Legacy is that like 2025? Um, I mean, they're just now. I mean, he posted some pictures of them putting up Superman pictures, Superman artwork in the production offices for Superman Legacy. Which is like, yeah, you know, the we haven't touched the script in three and a half, four months because we haven't been able to. Um, storyboarding has continued and some design work has continued, but, you know, and casting clearly has happened. But I have no idea how far they are from even production um, to the point where now we're in October of 23, having a giant fucking Superman movie ready for 24. Possible. Um, maybe by next Christmas, if we wanted it, if he wanted it, um, but also just as likely, you know, summer 25. So I guess we can keep talking. Wasn't it crazy that like, what, what month are we in? We're in October. So uh -huh. it's only three months ago that Flash happened. Yeah. And like two months ago, the Blue Beetle happened. One month ago, the Blue Beetle happened. Well, though there was August. I don't, I don't right. know. I mean, you could be right because it's now on fucking iTunes. So maybe you're right. <laughs> it's, it's on Mac. It's on fucking Max already. But remember, is it really? No. I think it is. Um, but remember going into this summer, like how fucking excited we all were for the Flash? 
I'm not sure we all. Oh, I still, no regrets, man. Like when it comes to Michael Keaton Batman stuff, that still was such a fun highlight of my summer 2023 was like <laughs> getting to take a trip back in time a little bit to 1989. Got your Keaton back. I did, man. I did get my Keaton back for a red hot minute and shit. Um, all right, what else we got? Um, speaking of DC businesses. Um, Walrus Onion in chat said, you were excited, Kev. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Maybe it, maybe it wasn't all of us, but it did seem like it was not just me. Yes. Um, Fear the Walking Dead's Coleman Domingo is yeah. tackling the role of Batman for a new DC Spotify podcast. Um, oh, right on. Called The Riddler's Secrets in the Dark. Um, comedian Hassan Minaj um, stars as the Riddler in Secrets in the Dark um, after having voiced him in Spotify's Batman Unburied. Um, the new series, which uh, which premieres apparently in five days, October 10th, forces Batman to team with Edward Digma to stop a mysterious vigilante who's killing Gotham's villains, including the Riddler. Winston Duke was the previous actor who, who voiced Batman in Batman Unburied. Um, the cast of Secrets in the Dark includes Gina Rodriguez as Barbara Gordon, Callum Worthy as The Messenger, Hannah Simone as Nadira, um, Jason Isaacs as Alfred, Ashley Birch as Vicky Vale. Um, yeah, like there's a bunch of fucking King Tut is in this shit, which is kind of dope. Oh, is that right? Um, yeah. Uh, let's see, King Tut, that Calendar Man is in it, Arnold Flass is in it, Killer Croc is in it. King um, Tut, created for television. Based on what Batman villain? Oh, I don't know that. Maxi Zeus. Ah. Uh, I think. Nice. If I remember correctly, I think I think Maxi Zeus came first. Or, or I'm wrong and Maxi Zeus came after and it's based on King Tut. Somebody will tell me in chat, I'm sure. I'm sure. Hey, asshole, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> Um, and finally, uh, word on the street is that Marvel is beginning to take meetings with writers about the X-Men. That uh, the big Get last giant thing. Get on it, man, before kid, before people lose their appreciation for this shit. Like, superhero fatigue seems to be a very real thing. And get to it man you know i used to think that all the time in the world because that marvel brand would go on forever but you better get them mutants out on stage quick yeah yeah there needs to be some focus at work and i'm not entirely sure that we're we're we're, we're in the presence of focus in the mcu at this point and so i mean and, you know the word was like that was their big priority in the heels of the writer's strike coming to an end was we got to start fielding pitches and taking meetings with with various writers around town to do the X-Men. And, you know, Sally Forth, men, women, and everybody in between, um, good luck to those entering the Hunger Games. Vex in chat has this suggestion. I would have an easier time with these audio dramas if they published exclusive comics to go with them. Hard not having visuals with Batman for me. It's an excellent idea. Uh, that's they're leaving money on the table why wouldn't you do a fucking comic to go along with your audio drum you know so you can like, follow along like and turn the page and shit remember when they'd, they'd give you the plastic records in the comics that you have to put pennies on the actual like put a coin here 
You just hold the record down. Record just... down. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> uh, that's technology um, that should come back. What else we got? Um, that, my friend, is about it. It covers we, all uh, news, huh? We remain in, in the in the sort of the dearth of news, given that it's hard to have news when actors aren't on stage to shoot the the shit we're looking for. When scripts for the new stuff is only just being written, so there's not a ton of development business at work. It's uh, it's hard to say, and we still don't want to be shills for stuff. So I don't want to talk too much about trailers. Uh, Chicken Monkey Thirty Three in chat said, "Y'all listen to the Squirrel Girl podcast. It was cute as hell." Not. See, I didn't even know there was one of those. Um, Travis Huffman says, no politics in my nerd news, please. Did we talk about politics? I don't believe we did at all. Yeah, I don't think we did. One iota. Um, all right. Well, I guess that's we it. could if you want. Yeah, <laughs> crazy should happen. I've got thoughts. <laughs> um Let's uh, let's uh, agree that the news portion of our show is over. Indeed, indeed. And let's uh, bring Banff Man back to the platform. Banff Man. Banff. There he is. Fucking fresh from his star cruise. Look at him all refreshed and youthful and shit. I know, man. All like, Look. fucking, there is hope and magic in the world still. Got a new lease on life. You know what I you know what I came away with? As I was walking out, I was talking to my friends and I was like, why don't I dress like this every day? Like Fuck yes. Up? You got you could get away with that and, at your bar. And they were like, Why don't you? And I was like, you know what? I fucking could. I'm like one of the guys who actually could dress like this every day. Well the one. Yeah. You could Chosen. literally dress like Grad Admiral Thawn Thrawn every fucking day at your job if you wanted to. Um, do you see my challenge coin, JC? Look how huge it is. Yeah, that's pretty. It's a challenge, that's fuck, my sweet. friend. Is it that is kind a of... is that a, like goodie bag you get when you subscribe at a certain level, or is that a... yes? When you join that Kevin Smith Club, I think this is like the basic level is the challenge coins. And, and then you, the do you the next to... level up is this bound scripts. Do you get to choose which coin you get, or is it random? No, there's uh, there will be four of them throughout this year. Oh, and I so the four different eras of my four different looks. So the last coin is me in jackets. The next after these two, of course, there's me in a hockey jersey. Then there's me in jackets. But uh, Luke and Chelsea and Jordan, they're responsible for bringing these to life. Man, they're pretty dope. That Kevin Smith Club dot com kids, if you're into that sort of nonsense and shit. I gotta reach out to luke i have uh taylor is watching jocelyn now is that right taylor is in luke taylor taylor Taylor? yeah yeah so keeping it in the smod family literally there it is Um, i need to reach out i want to do new challenge coins for scum and villainy so i I that's where i got the idea from i mean you for you know everywhere in the world people always hand me challenge coins but when you did them i was like oh shit we should be doing this Yours are way fancier than ours are, but yeah, they kind of went crazy. And they're not crazy, but they're they're pretty big ass fucking coin. Drop one of these from a building, and kill a human being. Please uh, don't. Wal- Walrus Onion says two face coins, bitch. You could do your face and then your face scratched out. 
You should do a scratch without fucking coin. That's true. Um, all right. Uh, Q and A. I imagine you got some Qs, and I, I imagine know. we get some A's. Um, I like uh, I liked this one. This is Lucas McGregor. Uh, I was raised mm-hmm. Catholic. You were raised Catholic. Mark, were you raised religious at all? No, I was. Uh, I was a funeral wedding. The only times I set uh, foot in the church. Lucky. This, uh, yeah. This is uh, Lucas McGregor. Um, on the day that you pass away and float up to the pearly gates, you're not greeted by Saint Peter or Jesus or any of that BS, but by an IP character. Who is it, and how would they judge you? So I guess who who do you want to greet you at the gates to heaven? And uh, what would they say to you? Batman, Kevin Conroy, Batman. And uh, he would say to me, um, I'm proud of you. You led a, a Batman, a Batman adjacent life. You don't want a Batman life because then your parents have to be killed in an alley and you're always fucking emo and shit. But a Batman adjacent life. Batman approved. That that would be enough for me if he was. I got there and Batman was like surprise, and I'm like, they gave me a big hug and shit, cape around me and whatnot. Not in a creepy way, not in a romantic way, in a fucking like you know, my God, my hero is holding me kind of way because he's bigger, right? Like he ain't like man size. He's like he's like a three up, right? Because he's God. So when he holds you, you feel Batman standing on top of each other's shoulders. He's basically like Ultron, essentially. Every (laughs) Batman you've ever loved comes together in one giant Batman that can cradle you in his arms and tell you what a good job you did in life. Um, Yeah, I'll I'll take Batman. I know there's a bunch of mystical figures I could be going for and shit, but. Fucking, you know, Batman, Batman is, uh, you know, he walks the line between man and God, you know? I think. No. Well, because he's a man, but he's like, this is a guy who could fight fucking Superman. Hold his own toe-to-toe with fucking Superman or Wonder Woman. This is a man who plays at being God or or walks with gods. Um. So, I, you know, yeah, Batman. More so than Superman. You'd imagine I'd be like, oh, I meet Superman. But Superman's approval wouldn't mean as much to me as Batman's approval. I mean, maybe that's wrong to say. Let me think. Nah, Superman's pretty cool. Like, I I guess Superman's approval would mean as much as Batman's approval. I'm just a bigger Batman fan. I mean, that's all fair. It's like somebody asked me the other day, like some Jersey quiz. They were like Bruce Springsteen or Bon Jovi. And I was like, well, that's fucking not fair. Like, (laughs) or Frank Sinatra. Well, that, that would have been easy, but like (laughs) fucking Bruce or Bon Jovi. That's can't be an or Bruce and Bon Jovi. Yes. What I say. Um, what about you? Who's, who's waiting in heaven for you? Um, I think that for me, you know, the, the pearly gates open up and this man comes walking over in like a purple coat with a cane, you know, and he just very slowly comes up and then the cane sticks in the clouds and then he does a tumble and a flip and then he stands up and then he says, you get 
nothing. Nothing for you. And then I get a little weepy and whatever, and then I give him the fucking everlasting gobstopper. He says, ah, so shines a good deed in a weary world. And then he's like, come on in. It's amazing. And then we got glass elevators. We got chocolate fountains. We got fat kids who float the ceilings. We got trains that go nowhere but make you kind of puke. We got it all. It's the best version of heaven. Um, that for me is what I want. If it's not that, then fuck it. You've literally just changed. You've turned it. You've turned a a song into a church hymnal. If you want to view paradise, <laughs> simply look around and view. What is more paradise than uh, you know the notion of heaven and shit? I like it. I like Willy Wonka running heaven. Absolutely. And then it's like, then it's like Sister Act is the hymnal when they're like, if you want to view paradise, a whole fucking like Kirk Franklin choirs going to work and. It's a Baptist church, really. I like it. Are you ready for America? Ready as I can be. <laughs> I like it very much. Yes, James Brown comes out like in the Blues Brothers, and the motherfuckers are just flipping on trampolines. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, you. I like your version of heaven better than mine. Mine's a bat cave where a lone fucking man in a in a giant Halloween costume waits to give you a hug. Yours sounds more fun than mine. <laughs> Good time, Heaven. Uh, what about you, Banff man? Who do you want to see on the other side? If I am if I am approaching Heaven, I think I want Linus from the Peanuts. Oh, that's he sweet. Just, he just seems like he's not real judgy. He kind of has a grasp on what life is all about. He gives a good speech when it comes time to be, you know, religious uh, in Charlie Brown Christmas. If you're sad, he's got a blanket for you. You know, he's a good best friend. And he's always, he'll sit there and he'll do the monologue from the Bible. <laughs> God bless us, everyone. I'll tell you what life was about, J.C. Reifenberg. That's right. Get <laughs> by a spotlight and narrate your life back to you. And the greatest uh, moment of your life was when you went on the Star Cruise. It's... <laughs> uh, speaking of which, question number two from Nightshade Holloway. Uh, mm. If you could have an immersive experience that works perfectly and does not glitch out like Westworld, what movie would you want to live in for a weekend? All right, do one more time. Uh if you could have an immersive experience that works perfectly and does not glitch out like Westworld, what movie would you want to live in for a weekend? Hmm. The Bad News Bears. The answer to that was so much gravity. Like, <laughs> the bad news bears. Bad news bears. Um. Yeah, but that's that's only that that would just be because then I'd be young, in the seventies. I don't know if that would. I could go in any movie. I don't know that that's the one I go into. Or you're Walter Matha. <laughs> yeah, true. In my head, I'm still part of the team. But when I get there, you're an old man. Are you the coach? I'm like me. What? No. Um, 
no, I'm fucking like Engelberg. They're like, no, you're a grown ass man. <laughs> you just paid money to come here. This isn't like yeah. magic. You could have gone into any movie and you came to this one. It's just baseball, man. <laughs> yeah, and you don't even like baseball. <laughs> don't didn't you wasn't your idea of heaven having a Batman there? Why did you choose this picture? <laughs> I don't know, man. The valley in the 70s just really captures my imagination. Now I live in the valley. Mm. And it ain't the 70s. But but when I drive around here, I think one of the reasons I'm here is because I've watched the valley in movies my whole life growing up, starting with the Bad News Bears. Um, But let's see. Where would I like to go? Totally immersive. It wouldn't Westworld out. Hmm. Oh, I would go to the Viewsk universe. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I'd be hailed like a god. I would be god there. <laughs> I'd be meeting all my creations and shit like that. And they'd fucking be, be, they'd be, they have to treat me well, right? Yeah. Like, there's I no mean, upside so- to killing me. Like, kill him. He's here now. We'll, <laughs> we'll be free. It's nothing like that. It'll just be like, the Bob is here. The Bob is here. The Bob is here. It should be very confusing because there is a Bob in that universe already. It's like, bro, I'm just working. He whose view is askew. <laughs> um, yeah, man, I'd go to my fucking world and shit. I'd be eating out like crazy on fucking, you know. You know, I created all this, right? They're like, well, this way, sir. Please have a seat. I'd be like fucking henry hill and fucking goodfellas man they take me through the fucking downstairs up to the restaurant Just walking tables out <laughs> i'm right on the edge of the stage <laughs> <with Frank Yavlon. laughs> um yeah that's how limited my imagination is i would go into my own fucking movie something i could do without this magical <laughs> ability i could literally just do it myself by writing a thing but i think i would like to physically go visit my characters it's cool how about you where are you going? Where um, you- I uh, part of me is like Blade Runner. What so that world doesn't seem like too much fun, but like yeah, it's a big fucking, it's a big build, right? Like it's like you're in another place in another time, and that seems like it could be cool. Um, then I was also similar like the Matrix, but like that's also like if you're just a fucking NPC in the Matrix, I don't know how much fun you're having. But then I was like, you know where I want to fucking go? I want to go to Shaft World. I want to be fucking Shaft. Well, and I just, well, well, I just want to be the, the well, black private dick that's a sex machine with all the chicks. I just want to pimp slap a bunch of fucking shoddy white businessmen. I want to wear cool pants. I want to have all kinds of sex with crazy fucking freaky people. You're a complicated man, but no one understands you like your woman. Not at all. That's what I want. <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop featuring Jay. I like that. Well, yeah, I mean, fucking Star Trek is also pretty cool. Like, if you're if you're just like an NPC on the Enterprise, like Josh H mentioned the Enterprise Next Generation era. I'm like, well, yeah, maybe, but also like any fucking Star Trek. As long as you don't have a red shirt and you're not like a Yeoman Johnson who's preceding Kirk on an away mission, like, that's a pretty decent life. Evan that's a pretty Fowler. decent fucking life. Evan Fowler in chat says, I want to go into the last starfighter. I want to take down the Rodan Armada while a faceless clone bangs my wife. That's hysterical. 
That's the cuckold retelling of fucking last <laughs> Starfighter. Like, whole time, that Alex, Alex Rogan is fucking taking down the, the Kodan Armada or whatever the fuck. In the back <laughs> of his mind, he's like, what's hot about this is my wife is banging a faceless clone back on Earth. Yeah. The music man is railing my wife. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't even married. They were just like boyfriend, girlfriend. But I guess this I guy in, in his version. In his, in his life, like, my wife is banging a weird-ass fucking faceless guy. Does she but care? Question. You should ask her if she cares. Mm. Um, Like, did what's-her-name care in the movie? She ever find out that it was fucking? She up? does because like fucking it starts to like twig out or whatever. That's right. It's, it's not. It's not Robert Preston. It's Robert Preston. Dies. No, no, no. Robert Preston robot takes him. Yeah, but it's the clone he leaves behind. Right. It's and like then she does the whole not, thing where um cannot compute come. Yeah, like his face falls off. Right? Isn't that? Doesn't that happen? And then he's, he's eating her out. His face falls off. If I remember correctly. <laughs> PG kid. She's like, ah! 1985 was a hell of a year. <laughs> yeah, that was how I learned what <laughs> Cunnilingus was because of the last. <laughs> and then she runs outside. He's like, Where are you, Banff Man? You got a movie you want to be trapped in or a TV show? I mean, well, you were trapped in it already. As lame as it is, I'd like probably go back to Star Cruiser again. But if I, if there was anything else, the other childhood thing. I want to be a fucking Ghostbuster. I want to live Ooh. in 1984 New York City with a proton pack and fight the ghosts of dead cab drivers and stuff. I think that would be awesome. Jose Munster, his answer in chat takes the cake. He says, I want to go to the Eyes Wide Shut universe. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to watch Nicole Kidman pee. A universe of one movie. <laughs> but he's you know, everywhere. But Jose's got a point. Like that'd be fucked up, man. Like that's an orgy planet, essentially. All day, every day. Yeah, that's right. You're always walking into a room. There's dudes in robes and canes and people listlessly fucking on a couch in front of you. <laughs> listlessly fucking world. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening here? Just nobody's having a good time. They've had so much sex they don't even care about it anymore. Look how listless that sex is. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, I'm fucking this person. Yeah, I what guess kind of, I guess I'm kind of fucking boring. <laughs> Somehow boring. heartbreak feels good in a place like this. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I um, found that movie theater. The 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 one that Nicole Kidman shot that ad, the AMC ad. Somebody found it? Yeah. Somebody it's found it. Internet and I went there. It's in Porter Ranch. Yeah. They had opened an AMC there. They built an AMC that was supposed to open, and then the pandemic happened, and so they never fucking opened it. But that's where they shot that ad. You can walk down that hallway. It's the same fucking hallway. If you go in that theater, it's the same fucking theater. Just saying, guys, I found the treasure map to the worst commercial ever made. Um. Porter Ranch, California. I think Patty LaPelle, the pin makers, made a pin of that. Like fucking Nicole Kidman. That's amazing. AMC thing. I mean, that's got to be a photo op. How many people are just going there Monday morning for a matinee to get the Instagram? I know. To get the hallway with the numbers on each side. And I did it. 
They should have a cardboard cutout of Nicole Kidman there. <laughs> See, they're not thinking. They're not thinking like businessmen slash women. Um, all right, third question of the evening. All right, last one is from uh, Beyond Retaliation. Uh, they say, rumors that Clayface will be the villain in Batman 2. Who would you two cast for the role of Clayface in the uh, R-Pats Batman universe? I want to play Clayface. Which Clayface is he? Is he the actor Clayface or is he Matt Hagen Clayface? Uh, was not specified. I think Clayface, Batman animated series. Just a big moving mass of goo. How are they going to pull that character off in fucking this very realistic world? Like, that's the whole catch of that, or the pitch of that Batman is like, this is Batman if it was real, man. Like, Clayface is one of the least realistic Batman villains on the planet. Um, I mean, maybe they go like serious body horror with it. Maybe it's not like giant mound of brown goo, and maybe it's more like the dude from Robocop whose face starts to melt. Oh my God. Like, That's why oh, I the shirt off, man. Yeah. Yeah. I've always felt like people are like, what do you look like? You know, I was like, in movies, you kind of look. For your body type, somebody's like, what do you look like? I, said, I look like that dude in RoboCop when he gets the nuclear shit dropped on. He's like, rah, rah, rah. just a melting human being and shit. Um, All right. So who would I cast as, as said person? Yeah. John Hamm. Oh, wow. Excellent. This is the actor. So you go the prettiest man in the world. You go, but who also has got some age on him? He's not like a young dude. He's been an actor. He's been trying to work for a while. And it's not working out. Um, Is uh, uh, Peter O'Toole still alive? He is not. Damn it. <laughs> He'd have been a great fucking clay face. Um, God, you know who would have been an amazing clay face? Alan Rickman. Hmm. And again, Alan would have been would have been an amazing anything. Anything. That dude could have played the shit out of any part. You know, sooner or later he would have been Alfred. Oh, 100 percent 100 percent Still waiting. Oh. Could you imagine him? Like, he would be the kind of Alfred that is, you know, like, fucking stern, very British and shit. But, like, when he, you know, like, could you imagine him given the whole, like, why do we fall down? Right. Um, I like your John Hamm. Hank, Hank Hills in chat says Nicolas Cage, which would also be pretty fucking great. Nicholas Cage, bro. That's a fucking answer right there. I'm mm. still response. Nick Cage as fucking Clayface. Oh, that's fantastic. Bam. What you gonna, got, Bam? I'm gonna do Dave Filoni. Ron Perlman. Just bring him over. 
He he voiced an animated series, didn't he? According to my quick Google. Why is that a? Uh, what'd you refer to that? A Dave Filoni, where you it take, was. You take the animated character and you bring him into the live action. Copy. Um, okay, and who are you doing this with? Ron Perlman, who voiced Clayface in Batman the Animated Series, right? Did he really? That's uh, according to Batman Wikipedia. Yeah. Although, wouldn't Dave Filoni, wouldn't doing a Dave Filoni then just recast it because he did not bring Ashley Eckstein? Well, he, yeah, but he, but he did. did. He brought he Mickelson. Mickelson and and Katie Sackhoff over. Okay, fair. I think David Harbour for Clayface. Mm. Somebody said Jim Carrey. Cross Crossman Jeff said Jim Carrey. Mm. You've seen him do a villain though. Clancy Brown is Clayface. Oh yeah. Boat Trek said Stephen Colbert as the Clock King. Yeah, Clancy Brown is Clayface. Sounds more familiar. Mm. Uh, Stephen both. Colbert as the Clock King is something I never imagined, but oh my god, that's so perfect. perfect. I mean, Colbert is as the Riddler is also pretty great. Yeah. Um. We're just jerking off saying names. <laughs> uh, is that what you do when you jerk off? You just say names. You're like Clancy Brown. <laughs> Michael Sarah. Did you guys see Jack that? Black. Did you guys see that news story that on the DVD or the Blu-ray for Superbad that they actually had Michael Sarah do that dance for one hour on a green screen so that the menu would like uh they thought rogan and and evan thought it would be funny if people sat there waiting for the menu to loop and it never looped so there was behind the scenes footage of michael sarah doing that dance for an hour non-stop for super bad that seems just wrong yeah. No, wonder so, no wonder he's so thin. Wild Samurai in chat said Jack Black as Clayface, as did Corey Taylor. That's a great suggestion yeah, right that's there. That's a great idea. Jack Black can do no wrong. Yeah, truly. Uh, look at that, folks. Just like that. It's all over. How many hours we've been doing this shit? Uh, Two hours and almost, 45 minutes. Almost Good three. Lord. Good Lord. Time to give the people their lives back. Kids, you have a good time? I know I did. I about this shit. Uh, a lot of people in chat were like, do this every week. Number one, don't tell us what to do. Number two, we're trying. Um, <laughs> now the movie's out of the way and stuff. We can get back to more regular schedule. Some live in person at the Scum and Villainy Cantina. Did we hook up a date or not yet? Not we yet. have not yet. We're we we're waiting on your ridiculous, crazy travel schedule. I'm back, uh, uh, say, October 20th, and then I'm back for a long time. 
Okay. Let me I'll see. Look what are my next things? I've got October 12th to the 15th, Smog Castle Film Festival. Tickets on sale right now. Go to smogcastlecinemas.com. Uh, or in November, I think I want to say it's November 11th. We've got uh, Zach and Mary make a porno 15th anniversary at Smog Castle Cinemas. And then on December 2nd, we're doing Smokshin. You know, we do auctions before, like mm-hmm. most of the screenings we do. We're doing a whole show that's nothing but auction. Ooh. Just never-ending auction. So if you're like, ooh, what do I get some, the person that likes these stupid-ass Kevin Smith movies for Christmas, come to Smokshin, because we're going to do it online as well. So I'm, I'm going to be around for, uh, you know, for most of the end of the year out here in Los Angeles. Cool, cool. So lots we'll have to of hook it up. We'll have to hook it up indeed. Um, give it up for uh Banff man right there, man. Without whom we you don't see us. Me and Mark would just be talking to each other and shit. I know he uh, took the bullet and went to Galactic Star Cruiser for us. Take a bullet, motherfucker made his life sounded like <laughs> so he's gonna start dressing up at his bar now. He's fucking I mean, and he now when I go in there. If I was Banff man, jump up here. Banff. If I'm you, I keep my costume at the bar and like Mr. Rogers, I go to work every day and I fucking put, put it, it on. on. Yeah. <laughs> fucking you get to wear capes at your job if you want to. It'd be amazing. I know. I don't know why I it took that. I gotta be honest with you. I, I the yesterday I took this is a selfie stick and I took it with me um to Runyon and recorded a uh meditations, a show that I do for that Kevin Smith Club. Um, but it hooks like this and I put it on my, I had a, like a hoodie tied around my waist and it looked like a fucking lightsaber hanging there. And I felt <laughs> so badass. but I was getting looked at by everybody like going like, did he wear a lightsaber to fucking, you know, and some of those people recognize, recognize me. So it's not just like did that rando. It's like, did that, you know, lifelong star Wars fan clearly wear a lightsaber on his way to Runyon Canyon, and what good does he think that's going to do? Does he think he's going to use that fucking lightsaber to fight fat? What is that all about? Home defense. I felt cool, though, having it hooked on me, man. Felt like... I mean, I still regret not going to fucking Galaxy's Edge and buying myself a lightsaber, like getting the custom-made jam. One of these days, I'll have to fix it. JC, I say you do cosplay at the F work. I think I'm just going to start doing... I, I mean... You know, like, I, at Smodcastle, I got, like, fucking 20 different jackets, right? Like, fucking, I go to the cheap suit stores, like, suit fashion and shit. Buy, like, a fucking $100 jacket without the pants. I leave the pants behind and shit. Um, you could have, like, five different fucking bomb-ass outfits from all across the Star Wars universe and shit. I feel like... Also, how awesome would that be? Is like your Fat Man Beyond fan from like Minnesota, and you stop. And this happens a lot. This happens like there's usually like a mom or a dad who will come in and be like, "We're taking the kids to Disney, but I insisted we flew into LAX so we could come by here before I have to sit in Disney for the last next four days." But how awesome would it be? And I'm always like, "Hey, that's awesome! Thank you so much." And uh, and hang out with them. But how much cooler would it be if I was wearing like, you know, if I was dressed like this? Yeah. You know, 
Like, wouldn't you rather would very hang much out with love. that guy than this guy? Yeah, also, I, I, would, I would love to, like, ask for the manager and the manager shows up wearing a cape. <laughs> or, 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 like, <laughs> we somebody won't leave and the police show up. And I go, who, who's running this joint? I'm like, well, I am. I am. Jason I'm the Solo. chief administrator. I'm the chief yeah. administrator of this. Yes. Well, well, what have we here? <laughs> um, it would encourage others to cosplay there, I bet. Like, if the fucking owner's in costume... Other people would feel free to show up in costume. How? What's the average uh, percentage of cosplay you get? Uh, more than any other bar probably in the country, but way less like than people would like. Um, all my bartenders cosplay, though. One of them um, does like a really awesome like uh, X-Men, the animated series, Rogue. And she lives just a few blocks away from the bar. So she would wear it down Hollywood Boulevard to work like the first two or three times she did it. And she's like, I'm just going to leave this at work from now on. I'm not comfortable walking down Hollywood uh, Boulevard in a spandex bodysuit like Rogue. What's your dream? <laughs> uh, kids, if you had a good time tonight. It's probably because of Banff man there or the other dude without whom there is no fucking show. The smart one, if you will. Although tonight in fucking chat, you were called good fucking uh, grouchy old man for not liking Ahsoka. <laughs> I mean, I'll take it. Everyone's like, he sounds like a grumpy old man shaking his fist at a clown. Give it up for resident fucking grumpy old man shaking his fist at a clown, Mark Bernard, ladies and gentlemen. My pleasure, boys and girls. Um, and there it is, kids. There's your fat man beyond for this week, man. Next week, we'll come back. We'll chat some more fucking geeky shit. Because something's going to happen between now and then. And we're going to talk about it right here. It more don't Loki. matter until we talk about it. More Loki. Uh, there it is, kids. There's your Fat Man Beyond for this week. Fat Man Beyond, I'm Kevin Smith. I am Mark Bernardi. Tune in next time. Same fat time. Same fat channel. Smodcast.com or YouTube.com slash Kevin Smith. Jeff's Kiss. Motherfuckers. Wow. This has been a Smodco Internet Production. Sip. Only at smodcast.com. <laughs>